Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host for today, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. <laughs> you know what? I got to say, I am really feeling this season. Uh, it's September, Labor Day is behind us, the holidays are up ahead, especially our favorite, Halloween. And speaking of Devil's Night, we have a big old bag of tricks and treats for you today. All your questions. <laughs> yes, as promised, we're dumping out another bag of bones, and we have some really creative cues all submitted by you. That's a rhyme, by the way. Um, <laughs> you are loving, trusting, and fearless, constant listeners, and I swear to God, that is not sarcasm. I love all you. Um, anyway, we got a lot of questions to sort through. Uh, something like 20-something questions, I think. I, I don't even have an exact number, but it's certainly over 20. Uh, so we might as well get to them, but before we do that, we got to introduce this uh, this team, this panel, this club. Joining me from across town here in Chicago is Hey, Rockin' Randall <laughs> Colbert. Oh, it's the Fonz. <laughs> the Fonz. Hey, uh, Mr. C. Hey, Mr. C. Hey, r- shut up, Roy. Uh, no, but. <laughs> Are you wearing a red hat and a Hawaiian shirt? Like he, I think he wears a Hawaiian shirt in that. I can't remember. That's my, uh, that's my, that's my daily uh, outfit during quarantine. Love it. I love. What if you did just dress like Poochie? By the way, that's a reference to one of the greatest episodes of all time by The Simpsons. Uh, it's it's called just Poochie, right? <laughs> the Poochie special, or no, Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, Jen. Yeah, I wish I could dress like Poochie when I'm out in the world. So I just do it when I'm home. <laughs> What if you just, because I know you don't ride a skateboard, but Poochie does ride a skateboard and so does Roy. So if you did dress up like that, would you just carry the skateboard around? Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> well, glad we sorted that out. How have you been? <laughs> <laughs> How are things in this, uh, oh, they're th- great. this wonderful world of ours? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> my life is pop culture because I write about it. And so today was about the Dune trailer. What a trailer. Wow, wow, wow. Big, epic, sweeping trailer. What other big words can we use to describe Denis Villeneuve? Uh, we can use Timothée. Timothée. <laughs> Timothée. You know that like in the, in the studio for Warner Brothers, they're like when, when Denny leaves the room and he like does his like, you know, 80 minute spiel where it's just like, you know, I'm dreaming of Dune and we have the sands and we get the, the, the great, uh, it, it's a class structure that we're going to have. They're like, all right, all right. Yeah. Um, great. See you soon. Uh, we'll see you on set. They're like, all right, well, we're definitely going to slap some posters with Timothy's uh, face on it. Zendaya. <laughs> who else can we squeeze in this cast to make this fucking nonsense make sense to the American public? Um, uh, like Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get Machine Gun Kelly and what other MTV stars? Who's that guy? Carson Daly. Can we get him? Well, that's a little old. So Carson Daly. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited for Dune, but I will say, like Blade Runner 2049, which I considered probably the best sequel um, of the last 20, 30 years, um, it's probably going to go over a lot of Americans' heads, I feel. Um, but I have uh, a question. Do you think 
Dune would be better if Paul were played by David Boreanaz. Ooh, I think everything's better if it's play if, if they're uh, if David Boreanaz is involved. <laughs> Actually, here's a sub question to that: Are you disappointed that David Boreanaz is not a part of CBS All Access The Stand? You weren't on that trailer discussion that we did a week ago. What do you think? What are your thoughts uh, on this? My biggest disappointment, absolutely, is that David Boreanaz is not playing Stu Redman in The Stand. I offer this suggestion. God, years ago in an episode, when we first discussed this, I was adamant that David Boreana should be in the stand, and a um, little disappointed that they didn't call on my boy, uh, James Marsden. You got big shoes to fill. He does have big shoes to fill, and if you follow David Boreanaz on Instagram like I do, he has some great stories in quarantine, um, certainly uh, additions to my own stories featuring David Boreanaz, because I, I binge-watched uh, all of Buffy back in April. Um, so having a little more David that isn't Navy SEALs related or Bones related, because um, the two shows that I will never binge, has uh, been nice. And he, so far in his stories, he hasn't expressed his disappointment for not being involved in the stand. So, um, I wish know. he listened and then he would know that he should be in it. And he could say, the losers called it. Yeah. And uh, they, they, the, and CBS All Access fucked up. Just like, he'll go, just like, he'll go, just like Boone fucked up New Mutants. <laughs> Uh, well, the jury's out on that because I haven't gotten a screener for New Mutants, and uh, I'm terrified enough to go into my grocery stores, let alone uh, a mainstream theater. Um, and the only theater I trust is uh, here in Chicago, Music Box Theater. Great place. Uh, smart people running it, and I, I trust sitting and watching movies there. But i got to tell you, I'm not going downtown to River East to watch New Mutants. So, Josh... You got to send us this, this screener. Just send us the screener. <laughs> anyway, Randall, I didn't ask you. I wanted to ask you this because um, the only two people that are on this pod, there's two people on this podcast that talked about uh, the stand trailer. What are your thoughts uh, in 60 seconds on the stand trailer? Go. Oh, um, I still think, I don't know. There was parts of it that I think looked pretty exciting. I, I, I can't help but be excited about it. You know, like mm-hmm. I have very, even though we've, we've, been very clear throughout this show about our low expectations i think uh i personally am just really giddy about it because it's a story i love it's a book that's very formative for my childhood so you know we only get a very brief glimpse of things in there but uh i still think uh whoopee i'm still not there with it i'm not buying Mm -hmm. it but um you know i like the glimpses we got a herald i like the glimpses we got a flag and uh and i even like the glimpse we got of julie laurie a great character uh she'll never top whoever's playing her will not top shawnee smith but i i have all the faith in the world that she'll be great hey she just followed us on uh on uh twitter actually um come on yeah come on the pod (laughs) i know well hey we are gonna have non-stop stand coverage uh coming at you december that is your christmas gift or should i say kingmas gift um yeah well hey this is this has been fun uh but we got to get to our next co-host today all the way down in nashville we're talking to hey this is jen to the rage adams and i'm gonna (laughs) stick with that (laughs) i love it that's that's so good i know until the rage goes away i think i'm gonna stick with it nice nice and I also want to point out, have they announced who is playing Trash yet? No. Although uh, because no. it could be David Boreanaz. Sh- it's pretty sure that it could be David Boreanaz, but <laughs> odds are it's going to be Manson. Um, what uh. if- <laughs> yeah, my, my, my general 
theory on this is that it's Marilyn Manson. They announced he's in it. They still haven't confirmed who. And they that they haven't announced Trash is really bizarre. And I think it's because of the the resurfaced um, account of Evan Rachel Wood and him being very abusive mm. to her when she was 18 years old. So I think that's why they uh, have not announced that. They're trying to keep that down. Because otherwise, I can see no benefit in not announcing who's playing Trash Can Man. I know. Right. It's they very- could reshoot all the scenes with David Boreanaz. Oh, my God. Dude, come out I bet he'd be up for it, too. What I if, know. What's he doing uh, now? What if they did, like, a whole Irishman sort of re-edit, <laughs> and it's just, like, this... It's not de-age, per se, but it's, like, a new face mm. over all of Manson's parts, and it's just David Boreanaz, like, in a studio. But it's not even, like, in a studio, because nobody's really going to production right now. It's, like, over his Zoom. <laughs> so it's, like, this Just, really, like, in his house? <laughs> yeah. Like you could see his kids run by or something like that. Like, I will say, I know he's not old. in it, but if Machine Gun Kelly had to be in the stand, Ooh. I think it would make sense for him to play trash. Well, no way, he's he'd be awful. He should play. Uh, if, if he, but if you if you had, I know we are not huge fans of his acting here, but if he had to be, in he's got to be Stu. It's, he's got to be Stu. Machine Gun Kelly is Stu. Oh Lord, I want Just, my Stu tatted up, baby. Uh, well, hey, with Reface being like, you know, all the rage, at least with us, um, we could totally just take all the clips from the stand and make all these dreams come true. And me, we might just don't don't test us because we have the technology now. All we got to do is get video <laughs> clips and we will make all these wacko bits happen on our socials. So Machine Gun Kelly as Stu Redman could be a dream. Uh, who, who do we say? David Boreanaz is trash can man. Could be a dream. Also, <laughs> these are all things that we are absolutely 100% going to be doing in December. Just, 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 just watch. We already had. Fu- we, we still have not gotten tired with the Reface app. We're like little fucking kids in a in with like a you know their dad's toys and stuff like that, or a gun or whatever. I, I fucked up that metaphor. <laughs> anyway, you've already heard. You've already heard his voice. Uh, last but not least, all the way to the east is. This is Dan Dune Trailer Caffrey. Oh, I was going ah! to say Dan Dreamcatcher Caffrey, but uh, you get Dan well, Dune Trailer. I hope that Caffrey. nickname sticks with you for like five years now. So like in 2022, like you're like, hey, it's Dan Dune Trailer again. Funny. They've released the second movie already and we're still doing this. But um, uh, if, if the movie does well enough, I mean, I think it will. I was I was reading today because I'm a huge Dune, Dune head. I've read all of the uh, all the all the original ones, then the two that his son wrote. I haven't re- read any of the prequels. And I always thought it was this sort of niche kind of thing, but I was looking it up. Apparently, Dune is like the best-selling sci-fi novel of all time, which is crazy to me because it's so weird and so esoteric. So maybe the movie will do really well. I think it will do well. I I, I think what's gonna there's all these asterisks around any blockbusters being released right now. Like it was it was a joy for me to watch film Twitter try to find some ways to slam Tenet. Uh, based on its box office <laughs> results and you have some people that are logical saying well you know no one's going to the theaters right now and then some of them are like well it's because the movie sucks and I'm just like this is chaos and this type of chaos is going to be unleashed on any film that's going to be released in theaters right now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it yeah, is a big what if it's a whole asterisk I mean it's I mean honestly even even New Mutants which I saw to drive in here in Atlanta it wasn't amazing but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as people no. were saying it is, you know, it was kind of a, like a shrug of a movie. I, it, you know, I would say it's as good as any mediocre superhero movie, but I feel like because they didn't stream it for critics that all of a sudden it got this huge backlash and it has like a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Like I said, it's not great, but it's, it's not any worse than any other, 
you know crappier mediocre action superhero movie out there so yeah i think i think that was well, the case well, caffrey stay on the boon box for a second because i got yeah, 60 yeah. seconds right now tell us what you thought about the stand <laughs> i think i say new mutants <laughs> um, <laughs> no i i really love that stand trailer i mean it's you know they were smart they packed it with some pretty immediately identifiable images from the book, which I think was super smart. Like, oh, there's Larry and and uh, Reed about to go in the Lincoln Tunnel. There's mm-hmm. Stu escaping from the CDC. Although I told this to you guys, I think that the CDC that Stu's escaping from looks more like the spaceship on Balsar Galactica. It does. <laughs> Just the, the weird red line. And I get it. They, they that Who knows? Maybe the CDC does look like that now. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I didn't have anything that I disliked. And I like that Whoopi Goldberg seems to really be downplaying it as mother abigail i think it's a really smart choice for that character um i love that you get to see flag levitate a little bit at the end i'm i love the I, I guess this was already public knowledge um recasting ralph as uh irene oh gosh what's her last name the woman who voices pocahontas are we bedard 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 um all, all that's good I, I didn't really see anything in the trailer to give me pause and i know it was just a flashing of images but i'm Super excited about it. I honestly, the the thing that makes me the most suspicious is the fact that it's CBS. And yeah. I know there have been mm-hmm. good shows on CBS, but just aesthetically, I don't know if it's the best match for King's, you know, what King does. But, um, but hey, it's all access, baby. So if that might change. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of all access, uh, we gave our constant listeners all access to us to answer their questions. So uh, how about that for a transition? Might be one of my best transitions. That was so good, far. actually. That was, yeah, uh, I, I, it sucks because we can never do a good one without saying it's good. Like anytime I know. we do a good one, it's because it's we're so proud of ourselves. It's great. Yeah. Well, hey, look, we got a lot of questions here. Before I get into any of them, I want to single out one. Michael Feeney, this guy has been so dedicated in making sure that we get this question answered. So I'm, I'm giving him the floor. Well, not really. He's not here. But I'm going to give him <laughs> the center stage, the first one right here, the pick of the night. I spent two hours today in my head debating all this. He asks... I was wondering who the losers dream it cast Pennywise kids adults would have been had the adaptation been immediately fast tracked and released, say at the end of 1987 and early 1988, uh, considering the book came out in September of 1986. Now, here's the thing. 1990s, pretty close to 87 mm-hmm. and 88. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like the, the the original miniseries does a pretty good job. However, I went a, a step further. Let's just say that the, it was going to be a movie um, and it wasn't going to be a miniseries adaptation and you could get some real big A-listers out there. Not, you know, not the, 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 not to say that they aren't A-listers in the, in the nineties miniseries, but I'm talking some movie stars that would have, you know, carried a, a feature film and probably two feature films in the eighties. So I'm going to go, I, I, I'm going to be a little ego, egocentric here. I'm going to go first here just cause I, I really want to, uh, um, I want to set the bar because I, I, I put in some <laughs> thought into this, Mike. Michael Feeney, I put into a lot of thought in this. I'm a very busy man, but I, I really <laughs> appreciate your question. And I wanted to make sure that you know that us, the Losers Club, are not going to forget about the listeners. We always are, we're always going to f- remember. And Randall keeps texting refaces of David Boreanaz as trash <laughs> man, okay, man right now. And I'm trying to we'll not post laugh. It on the, we'll post it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, you'll see it. <laughs> anyway, so here's what I got. And I'll go through all of them. So for Pennywise, I put Joe Spinell from Maniac. Ooh, because I want a scary good. Pennywise. I want a menacing Holy Pennywise. Shit. One that's not... You trying yeah. to d- destroy the minds of these children? 
Yeah. <laughs> so one that's going to be not talkative so much as just like a force of, of evil that just menaces around town, menaces around dairy. Or if the studio says no deal, or to be fair, if, if Joe's actually, Joe died in 90 or er, in 89, I believe. And it, it actually is a sad story because I believe he died in the, sh- because he cut himself in the shower and he just bandaged himself up and he didn't go to the hospital. And I think he died because of, I think the hemophilia had taken over. But so I think he would have been healthy enough to do the movie back in 87. So I'm still going to lean on Joe Spinell, but if it doesn't work out with Joe Spinell and he says no, no deal, I'm going with Bill Mosley because I think that Ooh. After, Ooh, that's good too. After, good. He's a good, he's a great guy, and I think this would have been an amazing role for him. So all right, so I'm going to go through the losers real quick. Uh, for Mike, Mike Hanlon, uh, young Mike, Shavar Ross from Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, um, and which is not too far from an, uh, A New Beginning. So I think he st- he'd still be age appropriate uh, to play 11, 12 year old. Uh, I think it'd still work. He'd be a little. He'd look a little older, but look, we've had twenty-something-year-olds play, you know, fifteen-year-olds before, or eighteen-year-olds before. So I think it's gonna be fine. Um, adult Mike, Denzel Washington. He's only got Saint Elsewhere to his name for the most part around this time. Um, he's still a few years away, removed from uh, from Glory, and uh, also from um, oh gosh, what what, what was uh, the the big breakout in the early night? Well, I mean, Philadelphia is years away from here, but mm. I still think I think they could get Denzel in it. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, for Young Bill, this is the same year that The Gate's coming out, so I'm going with Stephen Dorff for Young Bill. Um, Ooh. And who does he grow up to be? I'm giving Mark Hamill the chance that the 80s never gave him. <laughs> He's going to lead the Losers Club as the adults. Mark Hamill, I think he'd be That's great. That's good casting. Yeah, and I think they look very similar around this time, so it would be good. Uh, for Richie, uh, I'm going with young Richie. He's going to be Flight of the Navigator's Joey Kramer. Um, Man, who, you went you went deep. I went deep, mm-hmm. really deep. And I was looking da- I was looking at their ages at the time too. So, um, and then when he grows up, ideally, I would <coughs> love to get Bill Murray, but at this time he's doing Scrooged. So I don't think that he's going to be leading. He wants a leading movie, so he's not going to do it. So I'm going to go with his Ghostbusters co-star and pick Rick Moranis. Um, <coughs> as I literally have Richie. Bill Murray and Rick Moranis. Oh, wait, no. I have Rick Moranis for Eddie, adult Eddie. And I, but I have Bill Murray, adult Richie. See, I, I think, have other options. See, I would love it. if I would probably do, send the offer to Bill first and to his voicemail at the time. But if he couldn't do it, then I'm calling Rick Moranis. Um for Ben, young Ben, this one's uh, a little wild. I'm going with Leaf Phoenix, River uh, River River Phoenix's brother. Um, it'd be released probably a year after Stand by Me, so it'd be kind of fun uh, uh, casting to get his brother, uh, who is Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, if you recall, in Parenthood, it's not so much that he's heavy per se, but he's definitely um, he could probably play Ben if we wanted. He's not it. Jocker yet. Yeah, yeah, he's not Jocker. Um, and then for older Ben. Hey, 305, I'm from Miami. I'm going with Don Johnson. So my, at this time, <laughs> Miami Vice is around the third, fourth season. So it's starting to slow down. James Brown's playing an alien. It's, 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 it's getting bad. So he's going he's gonna to be doing it. And he also voiced a character in G.I. Joe the movie at this time. So he's going to do it, this high-profile movie. <laughs> um, for Eddie, I'm going with Lucas Haas from uh, Lady and White. Man himself, love him, and he's great in that movie. And uh, feel like he could play um, the uh, OCD 
uh, germaphobe. Um, and then he's going to grow up to be, at this time, Stanley Kubrick's go-to, Matthew Modine. Um, ah, so that's a good one. I, I'm th- not too bad. And then we're going to keep it in the Stephen King universe. She's going to go from E.T. to Firestarter to Bev as young Bev, Drew Barrymore. Um, I've wanted, I, I've, Aww. if you recall in past episodes of the Losers Club, I really wanted Drew Barrymore to actually be as a, the adult Bev in it chapter two. Um, didn't happen. Uh, they wanted Jessica Chastain, which makes sense. Andy Muschietti knew her from uh, Mama. But hey, young Barrymore in my 80s, it is going to be there. And she's going to grow up to be Joe Beth Williams. Uh, and ah. they have, and they have a connection through uh, Steven Spielberg with uh, Poltergeist, 1982. Um, and uh, Drew Barrymore, the E.T., obviously, that same year. And then that same year, Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg produced Poltergeist. That's the link. Um, and last but not least, and this is going to cause just laughter from Randall, <laughs> young Stan is going to be a pre-porn tape, pre-Saved by the Bell, Dustin Diamond. <laughs> He's still innocent. I love it. I think he could play Stan. I think he'd be good. I think he'd be uh, he'd look kind of uh, smaller d- than everyone. I think it would be fitting. And he's going to grow up to be, and this might be a little controversial now, but I think this would be really emotional. And he was doing dramatic roles at the time. Robin Williams as Stan. The man himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love him. So that is my cast. Uh, did go beyond that, but. Uh, no Henry Bowers? I didn't go with the Bowers, but I would. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd probably go with um, maybe like a who would be old enough around that time. I, I would have to kick that around for a little bit. But what uh, what do you got, Randall? Stephen Dorff is Bowers. Oh, he I think be, he could be very scary. He could be scary as young Bowers. I could. That yeah. Could be, yeah, yeah. He's a bad boy. That maybe that's the I'm bad boy it. streak because he was kind of an innocent kid in the gate. So maybe that's his way of being like, this is where I want to flex my muscle before Blade. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't do every. I I couldn't think of like every single character. I'm not as thorough as you, Mike, but but I got a few good ones here. I got I got a. Uh, oh wait, and you didn't do Georgie either. Uh-uh. This is the uh-uh. easiest easiest casting ever. It's your boy Miko Hughes. Oh, Miko Hughes could do that. Bring yeah. him back. Yeah. He's back, baby. Yeah. Uh, uh, I got baby Henry Thomas as Eddie from oh. ET. Nice. Mm. I didn't think about timelines too much here, but. Uh, you know who I got as my bill? I got Explorer star Ethan Hawke. I almost, I had Ethan Hawke, but I was, I was worried that he was too old at that time. Um, yeah, he might he's be. He's my Bowers. He's your Bowers? Oh, yeah. Wow. See, I love that. That's really good. <laughs> Interesting. I, Interesting. I, I, I could go either way on that. Okay. You know who I got for my Bev? And this is a, a controversial to- choice, an unexpected choice, but one I'm going to stand by, is a, a young Feruza Balk. <gasps> Interesting. She would have been from 13 Return at the Oz. time. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. She, around that time, she was in Return to Oz. Uh, I think she would be a cool, badass uh, uh, te- preteen Bev. Mm-hmm. Would be very good. Um, uh, who else do I have? Oh, as Pennywise. This was my dream Pennywise. Oh, I know this was one. I think Glover. we have the same one, Randall. Go ahead. Well, though. I have Crispin Glover. Yeah. Me too. Mm. Nice. And he would have been young at this time. But, Post Back I to mean, the Future. Th- yeah. Yeah, but Bill Skarsgård also young. So oh, I yeah, think- Pennywise doesn't matter because he's wearing so much makeup, you know. Right. Yeah, but I was gonna I say have- like he paved the way for a young a young Pennywise. Now I had Chris McGlover also. I just watched River's Edge too, so maybe even more. Oh, he's great in that. Pennywise. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. He's he's cuckoo in in River's Edge. I love it. He's like he's so bad. Like at first, like when you first watch him, you're like, what is he even doing? But then it's sort of like uh, congeals into this kind of like I don't know. It's all very deliberate, and I love it. Uh, I also have Brad Dorif. 
uh, for Pennywise. Oh, or, man. That would be awesome. Or, and this might be the best of all, but if they could get him, Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. I like that. Uh, adults, Eddie, I had either Rick Moranis or mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Dreyfus might be a little too old, but I think he yeah, could pull it off, I was, though, I was playing still. fast and loose with the ages. Uh, Richie, mm-hmm. Bill, I said Bill Murray, but I also think Martin Short could have been yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, was, I was circling mm-hmm. around Short also just because of the voices, you know? And we're speaking of Martins, if you want a different approach, his uh, good friend Steve Martin. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'd be into it. That'd be uh, wild if they got Steve Martin. I don't know who he would play, but, you know, 1988 was the year They Live came out, mm-hmm. starring Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> I want I want Roddy in here somewhere. He's Maybe, Pennywise. He, 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 oh, my God. <laughs> imagine Roddy Roddy Piper as Pennywise. Maybe uh, gr- uh, Grown Up Bowers. He could be the adult He Bowers could be Grown Up yeah. Bowers. I love that idea. I yeah. like the Grown Up uh, Bowers. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, this is my last one that I have. As Grown Up Ben... And stick with me on this. Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey, look, not only did he lose the weight, he put, he put it back on in his arms. Oh, know? Lord. He just I comes. Want... Could you imagine, like, that as... <laughs> hey, Pennywise. What's the poem he... What's the poem he writes for Bev? It's like, fire. Yeah, yeah, January, January embers. My heart burns it, too. No, uh, his introduction in It Chapter 2 is just like literally the opening scene from Cobra where he just like goes into the, <laughs> <laughs> he goes into the grocery store. Also, I'd love Schwarzenegger too. Like if they just didn't give the kid Ben like uh, an accent and then when Arnold shows up and he just suddenly is Austrian. Ridiculous. <laughs> my I had Schwarzenegger in my original. <laughs> oh my God. I, lo- I looked that track coach in the face. I said, listen, you stone cold son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to lose the weight and gain the muscle. Put the balloon down. Um, is that is, is that all your cast? That's all. That's what I got. Yeah. Pretty epic. Pretty epic. Uh, Jen, <laughs> what do you got? I know we were uh, kicking ideas around, and you said it gets crazy, yeah. but you didn't text it. So. Yeah, I I just want to give a disclaimer. I am not good at this fan casting thing, so mine is a little bit insane. Um, and I also kind of cast hot it a little bit, where oh. like if there was an actor that I think is particularly dreamy, I just kind of found a place for them. <laughs> um, also. I don't know if any of these kids were actually working at the time. I just know that they're age appropriate. So Jen Dreamcaster found a lot of these kids at malls in a totally cool way and not a creepy way. And I gave them <laughs> the like, their big break. So, okay. <clears throat> For Bev, I have adult Bev is Renee Russo. Ooh. And kid Bev is Amy Adams. Oh, don't know if she's doing work. anything, but I discovered her at a mall and she's great. So. <laughs> I like it. Uh, um, okay, so for Kid Ben, I had Johnny Galecki. Yes. Oh, and, yeah. and I don't know, um, Kurt Russell was my adult Ben. Ooh. That was a little bit of my dreamy casting. Um, okay, for Kid Bill, I had Leonardo DiCaprio. Ooh, yeah. Because mm. he, he, he could pull it off. Wasn't yeah, he, he in a stutter? Wasn't he in school or family ties? No, it wasn't family ties. It was. Um, Fuck! What was the show around? It was it Growing Pains. Yeah, it was Growing Pains. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He appeared in Growing Pains. This, this might have been a little bit before Growing Pains, although I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but I have him growing into Patrick Swayze as adult Bill. Oh my god! <laughs> I just love Patrick Swayze. Hunk, love it. Hunk love Swayze. 
Uh, I mean, Bev is really into him, so you know, I think it makes sense for him to be super dreamy. And and, and Swayze has to write a song for the movie, just like he oh, did. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's out. <laughs> <the one. laughs> Bev's like uh, the wind. Uh, I love yeah. that song. Um, okay. Okay. For going. Mike, I have Idris Elba as Kid Mike, mm. and he's growing into Denzel Washington. Nice. So we got I Washington there. Too. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. For young Eddie, I have Sean Astin. And um, this is one of my more insane ones. I have Michael Keaton as adult. Oh, that would be awesome, actually. I love that. Mr. Mom Michael Keaton, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Okay. And I went with Seth Green for Richie because I have a really hard time seeing anybody else as him. And I love Seth Green. He Mm -hmm. is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But I kicked around Ethan Hawke for that place, too. Mostly just because I love Ethan Hawke. Um, and then I had Bill Murray as adult Richie. So, God, like, so, I don't right. think Seth Green would grow into Bill Murray, but, I mean, I like both of them. So three out of four of us have Bill Murray already, which is yeah, man. pretty awesome. Um, cool. Um, for Stan, I had Michael Shannon for young Stan <laughs> and William H. Macy for old Stan. Interesting. <laughs> I could see um, that. And then... Th- this is my favorite one for Pennywise. Um, I have Angelica Houston. Oh wow, that's uh, I that think would be s- awesome. <laughs> oh, that's really. I good. never thought about I that. I actually really yeah. like that a lot. Yeah, that's so good. It would never happen, but I mean, in my dream cast, it would. So that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um, and then you you were saying Ethan Hawke for Bowers. Uh, oh yeah, Ethan yeah. Hawke for Bowers. But really, I just kind of wanted to find a place for Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, <laughs> I I did go. The first movie I did go to was Explorers. Uh, when I yeah. was thinking of kid casting, um, just because I think it's such an underrated kids movie, at least ninety percent of the movie, the movie, the ending, is it? The ending is Explorers good? The ending. I was reading about Joe like, Dante. I hadn't, I hadn't even heard of it before. I was reading about Joe Dante the other day, and I'm like, ooh, I need to check that out. I, I was a huge fan of, um, you know, like kids creating things as a kid. I just like love the idea of like finding random shit and just trying to make something out of it. Like, um, I loved like the the little like milk cart and uh, go karts and like the little rascals. Um, I love the boxcar children, how they were able to kind of create like an own home out of like the boxcar and find things around the dump. So like that movie capitalizes on that idea so well because they basically create like this spaceship and have this like computer in it. And it's just so DIY 80s that I love it. And then they get to the spaceship and you're like, okay, I'm changing the channel. Like this is crap. (laughs) Um, Hey, Caffrey. Set it, take us home. Who are you? Who are you casting? And it's 1986. You're doing line after line of cocaine. You got to get. <laughs> you got. You You're got, in the coke, man. Yeah, I know. We're just doing nonstop coke jokes. But um, who are you casting? All right. So I didn't cast the adults. I'm. That's fine. I'm really sorry. I just missed that part of it. So I'm just going to go through it. Okay. So Crispin Glover's Pennywise, which we've said. Mm-hmm. For Mike, young Mike. Um, I chose Adam Jeffries, who's kind of an obscure actor. I think he was on True Colors, but he was on this. PSA that scared the hell out of me as a kid called A Nightmare on Drug Street. Um, I know who else is in it is uh, who plays Tuco on Breaking Bad. He's in oh, Training yeah, Day. Oh, yeah, that guy. He's great. Yeah, so, uh, Cruz, Raymond Cruz, I think. Anyway, yeah. um, it's him, Adam Jeffries, and this this girl. And it's essentially three kids who have overdosed from different, or well, not overdosed, but uh, Raymond Cruz plays a guy who got in a drunk driving accident. Adam Jeffries plays a little kid who smokes crack and gets a heart attack. And these are all apparently <laughs> true stories. Oh, and so they do these reenactments of them. And I remember being so scary as a kid. Apparently it's a little silly now, but anyway, 
I, that to me shows that Adam Jeffries can handle horror. Um, as Eddie, I had Joshua John Miller from, he's the little kid in River's Edge and also Near Dark. He plays Homer. Nice. Um, I just watched both those movies, so he's been on my mind. Bev, I had Meredith Salinger, who was in that movie, Natty, The Adventures of Natty Gann. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, she might movie. be a little old. I'm not sure. But I also, I, I don't know. I always feel like girls go through puberty faster than guys. And I think part of it, of its appeal is that like Bev is like more mature, you know, like I feel like mm-hmm. the kids can look up to her. So I thought that, that maybe could work. All right. So then, um, Richie, I had, he also might be a little too old. But I had Corey Feldman as, mm. as young Richie. Yeah. I think for, Corey Feldman's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't, he, I mean, he, he would have been like 16 then. So he may, he may have been too old, but well, if, unless it's coming out in 87. Yeah. You had a baby face. 15. Yeah. Yeah. So we got Corey Feldman as Richie as Ben. I had Jerry O'Connell. Mm. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill, I had Will Wheaton, and then the Stan, whole Stand by Me crew. Well, Stan, I had River Phoenix. Which I like so, so you're like literally doing like rail after rail, and like and watching like a VHS t- like promo from Rob Reiner. Like he's like, these kids are great. Put them in your movie, and and you're like, give me the give me their numbers. It's funny because um, of of those four, I think I think all four like Corey Feldman was was a genuine choice and then i was like oh jerry o'connell and then like no will wheaton would be good as as bill and then river phoenix would probably not be a good stan he's got too much charisma and strength on screen to be a mm-hmm. stan he would he would actually probably be a better henry bowers or a, yeah even a will or even a bill himself but i'm like well i can't put i can't put three of the four stand by me kids in there not have all of them so <laughs> <laughs> that's how i rounded it out yeah, cocaine's a power that. hell of a drug <laughs> so there you go it's a hell of a drug indeed um well, this is fun. Um, I hope to God, Michael Feeney, that this was worth it. <laughs> that you loved it. I, I'm, I'm. For me personally, it's going to be hard to ever shake these actors uh, out of my head whenever I revisit uh, it. Uh, probably, and God, I can't even imagine how soon I'll read the book, considering I read it twice in like four years. But um, anyway, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, it's time to move away from the casting couch and go to our second question. Sean Underwood, he asks, time to dork out. King Crimson does a concept album over a Stephen King property. What book should they do? And what era of KC would you want to hear? In fairness, I couldn't tell based on the last episode, which is the in the court of the Crimson King, if all of you guys love the band, king crimson or not so i guess if you aren't a fan of the group who would you want to hear do a concept album of king's work um caffrey you're more of a king crimson fan right i mean you know i I know that first album the in the court of the crimson king and i I almost feel like i know more of their stuff from hip-hop artists who've sampled them which has happened quite a lot and flieger really likes them my friend may likes them a lot so i have like i've kind of a surface knowledge of them um i feel like arrow wise I would have to choose in the court of the Crimson King because it's the it's the one I know the best as you know mm-hmm. 21st century schizoid man on it and everything. Um, the, I do know the book I would choose is the Talisman, which is actually not one of my favorite King books because I think it gets a little too. It, it, it's weird. It feels like simultaneously vague about its own mythos, but also bogged down in it. If that makes sense, uh-huh. and so I, I actually feel like that would make good material for an album. Um, if I chose another band, I'm a huge, huge And You'll Notice by the Trail of Dead fan. And what I like about them is that so much of their work revolves around this 
kind of steampunk sci-fi epic the one of the front men is writing conrad keely um but at the same time it's not like the album follows a chronological story that you have to pay attention to like mm-hmm. part of why i've never been able to get into co in cambria is because it's so tied to the narrative right like exactly kind of, at least yeah. at least for me like i, I like their their couple of kind of pop songs they have but i really can't follow when they get bogged down in dragonflies and turbine blades and all that shit and so with whereas with trail of dead i feel like they can be singing about this sci-fi epic they have but you could think it's about a relationship right and so i think that's so so i feel like if we didn't have king crimson um i would go with trail of dead singing about the talisman or if we did go with king crimson i would just have to go with that classic era because that's the only one I, I really know in any kind of detail it's fair it's fair uh jen what about you are you a, a um, king crimson fan <laughs> Not really. I'm really kind of, again, surface level familiarity with them. So I actually chose some other artists and books. Um, I would love to have Tori Amos do um, Dolores Claiborne. That's cool. And I just love her. Um, Well, Dolores Claiborne and Tori Amos. And I also think it would be really fun to have Weezer do, like old Weezer do the Tommyknockers. That would be (laughs) fun. There's a lot of concepts there. (laughs) Do you like their uh, their abandoned space album, but do Mm -hmm. Tommyknockers instead? Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Nice, nice. Randall. Uh, Yeah, I like King King Crimson, but um, it's not... It's not, I just, I'm not like super familiar. So I guess like, I'd love to hear a take on the Dark Tower, like the entirety of the Dark Tower by, uh, um, I don't know. I was like ping ponging around a little bit, but maybe like Dream Theater could be really cool. Mm. Like just kind of like, uh, <laughs> like an epic uh, metal sort of interpretation of Dark Tower, I think could be really cool. That's like super spacey. That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan either. I mean, I have the album. I just don't really. I mean, I, I, like you're saying the the episode, Kathy. Like, I love the Kanye sample, um, <laughs> and that's pretty much what I get at. Um, I was gonna say, like, I mean, if if King Crimson had to choose a book, it would probably be like Eyes of the Dragon. Um, yeah, it might be a good one. one. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, for me, oh God, I, I guess if if I had to choose a record here and a book by an artist. God, to be fair, what do I listen to the most nowadays? Well, I guess I'd like to see John Carpenter uh, do Firestarter. If you couldn't do the movie, I'd like to see him do an entire concept album, like a Lost Themes style concept album on Firestarter. Yeah, that would or, be cool. Wait, you know, what if he did? What if he did an album called Lost Kings, and it's all Stephen Ooh. King adaptations that he never scored? That would I be really cool. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Man, it is. It is funny. As soon as fall hits, and it's not even that fall like here yet. It's still pretty hot. I am totally in the mood just to listen to Chromatics, John Carpenter, yep. like like really dark synth stuff. That's pretty much like what I listen to throughout the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so weird. It's like, as soon as I get into that season, that's what I want. Well, Hey, well, yeah, I've well, already watched Halloween twice. <laughs> I know. Twice? I'm like holding wow. off on it. Yeah. yeah. And the new one. So I guess three times. That's awesome. That's all, yeah. I've, um, in terms of spooky stuff, what I've been watching, Oh, I watched Salem's lot. We watched the three hour version of that. And then mm-hmm. I watched fun house and eating alive. So Ooh, I had like a little Toby good. Hooper marathon, uh, yeah. over the past week. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I love, love this era. And, and that's, that's honestly like my favorite part is just walking around. Like the other day I was walking around and just like, it's so lame, but I put on like Lori's theme by John Carpenter and mm. there was like the wind blowing through the leaves and I was like, oh man, this is my favorite time of the year. Like th- th- mm-hmm. everything could be shit right now, but like, this is great. This is a, this is a good moment. 
Um, mm-hmm. Randall, do you want to read the next one by Brett? Yeah, sure. Let me bring it up here. As a sports fan, I've thought that the end of DT uh, reflected King's experience as a Red Sox fan, a lifetime of disappointment and a glimmer of hope for next year. Obviously, that changed when the Sox won in 2004 and then several times after that. Are there any real-life events that occurred after a book was published that you think would have changed one of Stephen King's books? 9-11 could have altered Running Man or Insomnia, for example. I actually quite like this question, and mm-hmm. uh, I had a yeah, few it's a good thoughts. Question. Um I, I guess I we talked about this a lot on our Misery episode, but I think Misery might be interesting sort of in the age of, you know, toxic fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, fandom is such a different beast now than it was back then. I mean, you know, obviously uh, uh, emboldened as it is by social media and sort of the increasing transparency of celebrity. Uh, so I think that could be super interesting. Like, what if, you know, if... Paul Sheldon was uh, a much more public celebrity than the one in the book, you know? And, uh, and I was also thinking about under the dome, how that, you know, in some ways might, might, you know, the idea of being trapped in one place and uh, pandemic quarantine kind of thing. I was thinking a mm-hmm. little bit about, about under the dome, like, cause we're all sort of in our own little domes and um, we are. yeah. So I don't know. I, those were the two that immediately came to mind, but I do like this question a lot. Uh, how about you, Mike? Well, I mean, for me, yeah, the pandemic was one that came to mind just for the stand. Um, I wonder if it, it's weird because we've made so many allusions to the stand based on this pandemic. So it's like, what would have been different if he had, if we actually did have a pandemic that happened um, in King's lifetime, which I don't think we really have. I was trying to think of any of them that came historically close and other than like some major flus, I don't think there is. So I think this is pretty much the most you know, major pandemic we've had in his time. So I do wonder what that, how that would have affected the stand, but at the same time, there's so many parallels that we've already made to the book so that I don't see why it would be that effective, but obviously like school shootings and rage is a big one. Uh-huh. Um, Columbine. Um, and then also like the 2016 election in the dead zone. I mean, yep, I had that. Like, it's kind of crazy that like we live in an era, not to get political, but like Greg Stilson, seems far more realistic than if someone te- if i if someone told me everything that happened in the last four years it, it back in 2005 i would believe the events of the dead zone far more like than i would someone retelling me everything that's happened from 2016 to 2020 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i wonder how <laughs> if these events did happen how that would affect the dead zone if it would have made it a little bit more larger than life tall taily um, than it yeah. already is. But yeah, those are mine. What, what about you, Jen? Well, I had the current administration and I had dead zone and under the dome too. Cause I think there's a lot of uh, parallels there. Um, but I had a couple, um, I thought about the regulators, which was, I believe 1996 and just kind of some of the shootings that came after that, mm-hmm. like the pulse nightclub and Las oh, Vegas yeah. shooting. Um, and then I also was thinking about his own car wreck because he's written so many car accidents or people being hit by cars over the course of his career and then for it to happen. And I was trying to think if there were any really notable like car accident deaths other than um, one that's very on the nose that I'm not going to spoil. Um, but and then the other one that I was thinking, and it's a little bit of a cheat because I think he may have been inspired by this. But when I was reading Finders Keepers, um, I kept thinking about Harper Lee and how after she died, um, 
they pu- they found a novel that she'd never published and I kept I can't remember the name of it but they published it after her death and I remember there was speculation about why she never published it and whether she wanted it published and that's kind of a theme in Finders Keepers of like a writer who writes a lot of stuff and doesn't and like keeps it for himself because he doesn't want it out there and then after his death he loses control of his writing so I thought I don't know if that was I was wondering if that was in King's brain. So that's a little kind of adjacent to the question. But yeah, those are mine. Love it. Love it. Caffrey, take us home. Yeah, all the political stuff you guys mentioned also with the stand. I was actually thinking about Cell, which wouldn't change necessarily. I mean, if anything, we're more attached to our phones and more people have them than when the book came out. But I wonder if because the internet and just, you know, Wi-Fi, whatever, is so much more all-encompassing now, if it would have informed the direction he took the zombies in, in, a, in a better way, because my big issue with that book, as we've talked about before, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it, um, is how the, you know, they start off like normal zombies and they kind of transfer to having telepathy and all this other stuff. And that, that change has always been really jarring for me. And I feel like if King is working with a more diverse kind of signal, like we have now where it's not just people talking on cell phones, it's the internet, it's everything. I wonder if that could have resulted in just a more diverse slate of zombies from the beginning. So it wouldn't feel like a book that switches gears halfway through to its detriment. Um, Yeah, that was the big one I I thought of. I mean, it's funny. Cell is not my favorite book by him or anything. So it's not like I'm dying for him to revisit it. But yeah, that was, that was the one that, that came to mind when I read that question. Well, why don't you read the next one? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, do, 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 sorry, I'm on the social one still. Let me go back up. Okay, so the next one is... Erner. This is from Erner. <laughs> I'm saying that right, Erner, right? I think so, yeah. Popular media hates King's endings. Time to play armchair editor. King has given each member of the Losers Club the opportunity to fix the ending of one book already covered on the podcast. What novel do each of you choose, and how do you change the climax to ensure constant readers close that book feeling as satisfied as grade school Mike Rothman after a trip to McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't. Hey, I just. Read I, know, the I know. I know. I yeah, know. That's good. We were going to crack um, at. And so, yeah. oh, so I, I actually did. I don't think this changes my answer. Um, but so it's a book we've already covered on the podcast. Yeah. Just to keep that in mind. So the one, I, I, I feel like this is kind of an obvious one, uh, but I chose the stand. And I wouldn't even necessarily need to change what happens in the stand. I take no issue with um, Las Vegas blowing up from Trash Command's warhead at the end. I don't even take issue with the idea of the hand of God being the thing that does it. But I think it could be even more ambiguous in the book. I mean, it's more ambiguous in the book than it is in the miniseries. But I think you can go even further with it, you know, like show how the crowd is seeing it. Maybe they're not seeing anything. Then show how Ralph and Larry are seeing it. Maybe they're seeing something. Um, it's it's just and I love the stand, but it's really the only part of the ending that just gives me pause because it comes it comes down so hard on not just faith but a very literal example of good and evil, which makes the book yeah. a lot less interesting to me. So that's that. Uh, that's uh, mine. But uh, Jen, what about you? Um, this one was kind of a hard one for me because I'm not really one to kind of pick apart endings. I kind of just accept them. Um, but I picked a short story and I picked Dedication because I do not <laughs> like that one. And I want the, the main character to realize that she does not need that man to have her son be a great writer. She is perfectly capable of being a mom to him and teaching him to be a good person. And she doesn't need to eat that gross stuff. And I would change so much about that story, not just the ending. <laughs> nice, nice. Randall. Um, I have two. One is super easy, which is just literally cut the last chapter from uh, The Sundog. 
from Four Past Midnight, mm. which is a story I actually don't mind. I think there's some really good stuff in it. But the final chapter is this weird, like, uh, to be continued, like, is it really gone? That literally <laughs> serves no purpose. And it's also just super dated because it's like, it's uh, it's very, you know, 80s or early 90s computers. And uh, you could just cut it so easy. And the other one I have is more like... I wish, I think, because I love the end of the long walk as it is, um, but I kind of wish that we went, like, one step further, like, with mm. Garrity, um, like, sort of when he encounters the Major at the end, if this, if the story took us one step further into the world that exists outside yeah. of the road, you know what I mean? Like, that, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know if that would, it's, it more so would just, like, I think would open up the rest of the book in certain ways because we still don't have a really strong idea of what the world is like outside of it. And I don't need it all unpacked, but I think that a tease of it would be really cool. So those are my answers. Mm. Yeah, I dig those. Um, I got two obvious ones for me. One is, you know, out of all his endings, I actually, I just can't stand the shining in the book. Like I, I really don't like the redemptive arc that Jack gets. I just think it's, and maybe it's just because I'm just so brainwashed by Kubrick's version, but I really do love the nihilistic ending of that movie. And I, and I, even every time I read the shining, I've read it like two or three times at this point, but like, it just seems so like Hallmarkian and hammy at the end for him to just like have this, like come to his senses and be like, Oh, I got to save my family. I just don't buy it. Like, it just seems so, it kind of takes away the evil of the book too, but I, I mean, I get where King's coming from for it, but for me, get him out in the cold chasing Danny or, you know, whatever. I, I just think that's much better. And also this might be a little controversial, but I, I think you can condense the coda and the, the themes of the ending of Gerald's game into um, a way that doesn't make it so, um, I like the idea that a lot of things are up to interpretation um, as opposed to being so literal as like the person that was actually there and uh, what have you. And so for me, it's like, I kind of wish that it would have ended at the cabin as opposed to like the long extended code that we get. I mean, I I think there's ways that you could have wrapped up this story um, at the cabin with her coming into some sort of resolution on her own as opposed to having to have the the extended uh coda there so that's where those are the only two that i've really ever been like oh well it could have maybe landed a little bit better Uh, because otherwise like it's weird like the whole stigma of king having these like quote-unquote bad endings is kind of elusive to me like i don't really get it like i don't Mm -hmm. i don't i I, like i really did have to like rack my brain on this because it's not like i have like really any qualms with these these endings like i mean especially literally like that like the Gerald's game ending works fine i just don't think it works in execution on screen as much so you know maybe you change it in that way but like in all of his catalog i can't really think of too many books that are like are with the exception maybe like i guess the timing knockers but like i think you'd probably point more towards like narrative issues throughout the book as opposed to the ending itself i don't know mm-hmm. maybe i'm just over the maybe i'm like gl- glossing over things but is that am I out of line on that? I mean, does everyone? I mean, Jen, you, no, it, I agree. I yeah, I think, and I think part of what we talked about on the Tommy no, no, the insomnia episode is that he like tends to not plot his novels so much, and he's written about like kind of uncovering them like fossils, and mm-hmm. I think like he 
when I think about his endings, I think there are only a few that I could really think of that don't feel fair to the story, Mm -hmm. you know, and it might not be the ending that I wanted or the ending that like is the most satisfying to me, but like, that's not what we get in life a lot of times, you know? And I think like sometimes if it had been like a happier ending, it wouldn't, it would have felt like a cheat, you know? And so I appreciate that he kind of just lets his stories unfold and just kind of lets them be what they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you take the next question? (laughs) All right. Okay. Oh, I love this question. Okay. Will Kojak get his own? Oh, this is from Lassie. Sorry. So, um, (laughs) fitting question. question. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Will Kojak get his own flashback episode of The Stand? And which character's backstory would you drop in favor of Kojak's? Also, an idea for a future Losers Club episode. Top Kings. I'm sorry. Top Dogs of King's Dominion, which I love. I love that idea. Although, I would like to add cats in there, too. Yeah. Um, okay. I would drop the kid in a heartbeat. I do not like that story. Same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's also a part in there where flag is getting like his fake driver's license or something. And he like goes and sits on somebody's chest. Like, I don't know who that person is. It's so unnecessary. Oh, that random guy he meets in the desert. Yeah. 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 He walks. I don't think we see him drive a car in the entire book. So I would lose that too. And more Kojak, please. Cause he's awesome. hundred percent agree. I I would, I would bungle um, or bundle uh, like (laughs) the kid with trash. I know trash is important, but Mm. look, Mm -hmm. less trash uh, is better for the world. So um, (laughs) that's where I'm going at. Uh, Randall, what do you think? Uh, Well, a, I'd struggle seeing, I just, I only want Kojak's backstory. If it's, if it's like him just wandering the highways with no problems, just, uh, you know, meeting nice strangers (laughs) who give him pets. Mm -hmm. I don't want any dog, dog trauma or trouble even if he comes out on top in the mm-hmm. end I, I i can't do it uh but if i gotta drop a storyline i'm just gonna i'm throwing a grenade down i'm dropping nick andros oh my <gasps> god Ooh, no not <laughs> you're, 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 you're not throwing it. a grenade down you're throwing another bomb uh I, that's gonna done. kill uh more kid more trash less nick we need more bad guys mm. interesting i mean Mm. yeah we do we <laughs> do actually need more bit. bad guys though like i, I mean I, the ratio is is off in the stand it's like the decepticons true. and the autobots like <laughs> the bad guys are supposed to be such this threat but we never like like on the transformers cartoon it's always like oh there's so many decepticons i'm like oh really because we only see fucking megatron starscream <laughs> those other two jets and mm. Soundwave. that's pretty much it like i think you guys have them outnumbered and the stand all we really get to know is flag Trash can man Lloyd and kind of Julie Larry, I guess, and then a bunch of guys much. who have the same the same last name. The we need a yeah. rat we need a rat man or in the case of the miniseries, rat woman backstory. Give me a whole episode. <laughs> I yeah. wanna know how the rat factors in. <laughs> well, Cap, are you going with uh you're going with the kid or Yeah, I wrote I wrote yeah. down the kid also. Right. Trash's yeah, story, just him on the road doesn't bother me as much, but so much of it is taken up by the kids storyline. I actually like Trash's story better in the the original unexpanded mm-hmm. version. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to read this next one just cuz I have the answer for it. It's not really a question so much as like a factoid. <laughs> no, this is good. Um yeah. <laughs> Todd Seibert he says I guess this may not go here since it's not a question and only tangentially relevant to King's Dominion, but it's a factoid that I find absolutely amazing in its own way and I had to share. Go to Wikipedia for Firestarter 2 Rekindled, 
which I believe stars uh, Queen of the Damned and What Hot American Summer uh, star. What's her? I can't remember her name, but um, anyway, I guess that was pointless putting that trivia up if I didn't know the actress's name. Anyway, (laughs) we'll go with it. Uh, Click on the director. Scroll down to the bottom of this page. It is inhumanly possible. It is humanly impossible to guess the very next thing he directed after Firestarter 2 rekindled. Um, Does anyone want to take a guess? I already looked up the answer. Oh, you already looked up? Okay. Same here. (laughs) So one, two, three. Do we all want to say it? Yeah. Yeah. One, two, three. From From Justin Justin to to Kelly. Kelly. With the same person before they did Firestarter 2, did She's All That, Boys and Girls, Cinderella. So it's so weird that they got Firestarter 2. Yeah, it, it is bizarre. It is definitely bizarre. And one day we'll get to that in the Lobstrosities for sure. <laughs> um, good Lord. Um, I'll have to change my nickname. <laughs> yeah. Well, who wants to read the next question? Uh, I'll read it because it's related to me, sort yeah. of. Um, <laughs> picture it. You finally land an interview with your white whale, low these many years, Stephen King. You ask him about his fixation with the greaser's bully archetype and whether it was rooted in any childhood experiences. He sits there gravely for a long time, stands up, lifts his blue chambray work shirt, and reveals an ancient jagged letter H carved into his belly. In the style of King's prose, describe the shit that fills Randall's pants. Uh, And so I said, hot, steamy squirts, which pressed against the fabric of his underwear, oozing uh, down his leg. So oh, Lord. that was my my casual uh, sort of description of how King might describe the diarrhea I have uh, when I when I learned that. Um, and that that question was from Cameron Dufresne. Thank you so much. Uh, please, more diarrhea questions. Um, yeah, seriously. Um, did anyone else write anything? I wrote. I wrote something. I figured. I figured. Go for it. I, I love. I, I love the blue chambray work shirt mm-hmm. thing. That's because King always talks about that. Yeah, and I think he wore. I'm sure you wore one in the 70s. Okay, all right. I'm going to try and be serious while I read this. All right. Randall felt his bowels tighten, then loosen, tighten, then loosen again. He breathed in deeply, as if his inhalation was enough to solidify his stomach's contents once more. But it was too late. Once shit is is out, it's out. No shoving it back in the tube, just like toothpaste, he laughed darkly to himself. Oh, my God. God, I'm losing it, he thought. And indeed he was. Only it wasn't just his sanity he was losing, but the scrumptious Frito pie he had had for oh lunch. Oh my God. Only <laughs> it wasn't so scrumptious anymore. <laughs> Randall tried to squint the tears out of his eyes as his pants became nothing more than a wet brown stain. Oh, oh my man. God. <laughs> so, that is so I, honestly, good. Well, the, sh- the, the shit stuff was fun, but because uh, something King always does is like the kind of maniacal inner monologue, yeah, like mm-hmm. the jokey, <laughs> like, like like Larry Underwood, like the like the God, I am going crazy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's what I wanted to include. Wow, so, Jen, did you write anything? Dying. That is so I didn't funny. Actually. I know. I don't know if I can top that. I didn't I, actually yeah. write anything, but I did have a vision of a couple of the other members of the Losers Club um, following <laughs> along this path later and finding some wrappers on the ground. Um, and they were wrappers <laughs> to chocolate covered payday candy bars. Oh, yes. Well, but were they, was it, was it actually chocolate covered payday? Oh, Here we go. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to pick it up to find out. <laughs> I, I have one. It's just one line. Uh, I didn't, I didn't go, uh, all, uh, you know, uh, Faulkner, um, like, uh, <laughs> um, loved it. Oh my God. Uh, Randall wrecked his pants like a troublemaker barging into a pristine collection of Lincoln logs. <laughs> logs. 
and yeah, I think we all have fun with scatological humor. I think the uh, I think the the <laughs> trouble. <laughs> You said the troublemaker, like King would write that. Yeah, like a troublemaker. Just trying to think of something you know cheeky that he would do. Um, uh, Caffrey, you win this round, so you take the you take the next yes. question. <laughs> okay, I, I win this shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, here you go. That was a good question. Um, yeah. Okay, number eight comes from Luke Finlay Maxwell. Uh, quick question: These last names are the because I'm seeing a lot of uh, of King Kingian last names. So are these real pe- people's real last names, like Dufresne and? And uh, I don't there, think like, so. I think they're the the, the Patreon name. usernames that they come up with. Um, uh, okay, because because fin, fin, isn't fin, fin, Finley or Finlay? That's a Dark Tower Cantoy, isn't it? Like yeah, one of the Cantoy. Um, cool. Anyway, uh, here is their question: What are your favorite scenes or scariest scenes from any miniseries or multi-episode TV format Stephen King adaptation? Um, example: The Outsider, Mister Mercedes, The Mist, The Dead Zone, It, The Shining, etc. You know, it's uh, once again such such a cliche answer. But I had to go with it. I mean, the opening scene of the stand for me is is mm-hmm. one that just has stuck with me, and is just not just scary, but really sad and unsettling. And just the image of it in general just reminds me of a lot of the bad stuff in the world. So that was what I went with. But uh, I went yeah, with the, you, I went the stand too. Um, I because I, I, I honestly like the more I thought about it, I was kind of shocked at how little like affect the miniseries or the rest of the miniseries per se, like have had on me. I mean, I, I mean, I, mm. I, I think like as a kid, the stand genuinely terrified me and especially the first episode, but I, I mean, revisiting it so many times, like the only one that still kind of gives me the, the heebie jeebies is uh, the escape from Stovington. Like, I think that whole sequence mm. is still pretty chilling. Um, and then I, I had to, you know, I had to, to, to throw a bone to, um, you know, my boy Terry from The Outsider. I didn't kill that kill Ralph. Um, I was literally going to bring that up. Because... I didn't kill that kid, Ralph. I, 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 genu- I actually think the way that The Outsider, the, the titular villain, like, kind of lingers around and lurks is, is, re- is like, really effective. Um, and especially with the mm-hmm. peripheral horror, especially when they zoom in out of, and, like, out of focus and they, they, cl- they kind of clarify where he's at sometimes or where it's at. Um, and then also the scene with Terry's kid in the room and she's like absolutely sure there's something in the room. Like that scene, we watched that on a screener shortly after like New Year's and it was like pitch black in my house and that got to me. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, Randall, I know you're a huge fan of The Outsider. What are, you, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, I did like The Outsider, but that's, I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that for this one. What came to mind was uh, it actually, the opening scene mm. when the little girl sees... Pennywise in the laundry, like uh, when oh, it's yeah. floating by. That scene always scared the hell out of me. And then also, and it's still, I still find it unsettling. And then also the scene when Eddie is in the shower and the showers all come to life. And then Pennywise comes oh, yeah. up through the drain. And there's this mm-hmm. really creepy beat uh, where Pennywise sort of does this, you know, puts his his uh, fist under his chin and kind of poses and the camera holds for like a second longer than it probably should but in a good way like i love that and there's like this moment of stillness that's really eerie that those are the two scenes that always get me from that and then i'm hesitant to to speak too much about it because i don't want to spoil it because we haven't really gotten to it yet but mr mercedes actually has some really impactful stuff i i've still i'm only like halfway through the second Mm -hmm. season but i like the first season a lot and uh, there was um, there's some stuff relating to like incest that I find really really mm. 
like powerful like the way it's done is really powerful and it's really uh freaky and and i don't know i don't know i'm kind of impressed Mm -hmm. by how much they went there so it's uh Mm -hmm. it's good i like it uh who's left jen um i have one from the um from the outsider too and it's the image of jason bateman with blood all over his face like standing behind the van and just looking at a child oh yeah and i think it's and it just it creeped me out so much because of just like the look on his face was so terrifying and just to have like that blood like and it wasn't all over him it was from like his it was all over his like mouth and chin so it was clear why it was there and it's just mm creeped me out but i also had the second episode of 11 oh yeah with frank dunning mm-hmm. and i remember i think it was josh duhamel and i didn't find that miniseries particularly scary but that episode really got to me and i think it's really extreme and i think they really did it like that story like a really tough story justice and showed like how terrifying that would be and i just remember well i don't want to spoil but there's an image of frank dunning like at the very end of it that just has stuck with me yeah. for a long time yeah we read with like sammy just finished uh the book so we've been re-watching the miniseries and we just finished that episode mm-hmm. and man g- great direction i i totally forgot mm-hmm. how great the the miniseries is uh behind the camera a lot of really crisp portraits of fall and autumn um, that really mm-hmm. capture that book, um, and a lot of connections in the King there that aren't that that are some of some subtle, some not so subtle. But yeah, that whole sequence with with Dunning is phenomenal and really um, mm-hmm. kind of captures the, the scene of that book. Who wants to read the next question from Adam Dietz? I'll do it. Right. Adam Dietz says, if you could change the fate of any King character, who would it be and what would you change? Note that fate does not necessarily mean death. Maybe you think Mike, Mike Hanlon should open a surf school in the Bahamas instead of <laughs> remaining at the Dairy Public <laughs> Library. Thanks. Uh, I would love to see Surfing Mike, Surfing Mike Hanlon and get a little <laughs> sequel. And it's just like <laughs> a hangout book of him in Hawaii or in the Bahamas, <laughs> like, like a teaching, teaching celebrities how to surf and stuff. Um, It'd be funny yeah. if B- Bill, Bill like, comes back. He's like, Mike. Pennywise is bad. And then Mike's like, shh, Bill. He's like, no, man, we don't talk about that down here. He's like, just <laughs> grab a pina colada and catch a wave, brother. <laughs> just like really like, just told chill surfer dude. And then like and a grizzled man comes up and is just like, uh, I just cleaned my boat and I'm going to go for, uh, it's like, well, what's your name, sir? Uh, Andy. And then like just walks away. And it's like a cool, yeah, um, cool cameo. My by answer Robin. to this, if I could change the fate of anyone, it would be <laughs> Cujo. I want Cujo to get mm. better of rabies and <laughs> a, uh, to, then them to a adopt lame ending. <laughs> to adopt Cujo and raise him as their own and everyone's happy. And the same with the dog in Needful Things. I I wish that Hugh saw the dog and said, Oh, he's cute and he decided not to kill it and he pet it and he walked mm. away. So so Donna loses loses her child. Um, and then it literally is like, Well, we can make this dog better. And then takes the well, like fix the dog. She sort of <laughs> she renames Cujo after her son. Oh, that's funny. I had that I would save Tad on my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Louis Teague did uh, when uh, he directed. He did. Tigger. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I think the book ending is better, but I just it just tears me up. It's sad. Oh, you don't like the the freeze frame on the porch of uh, the Canberra <laughs> residence? Do, 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 what if there was a freeze frame do, 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 for the book? Like, look, like King literally says freeze on, <laughs> on Donna and I her mean, husband. I mean, I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you go ahead with the, you with your uh, with your change. All right. Yeah, I got. Well, I have Tad, and then there is. I don't want to spoil this because we haven't gotten to that book yet. But there is a um, a death in Duma Key 
that made me so angry when I was reading it the first time that I put that book down for probably like seven years. And I think it was because of like the place I was in my life. But so I would save this particular character. Um, but I was also, um, I was thinking about Nadine and I was thinking how we had been talking, like she deserved mm-hmm. a better shot. And I think yeah. I would love to see her kind of pop up in Midworld as kind of another character might do that I'm not going to spoil. But I think she could like, because then maybe she could hunt down the man in black and kind of be like a female gunslinger. And I think that would be really fun. I like that a lot. I, I had Nadine uh, too, because yeah. the whole black and white thing of that and how her fate, how she was fated. Mm-hmm. It really bothered me, and we, we've talked about it a lot on the book episodes, and um, I think I brought it up even on the Stan trailer uh, digression last last mm-hmm. week. Um, I do like that idea of like her coming back in like a midworld, which actually could be an answer for a, a future ep- a future question. Actually. <laughs> I may but, have um, it for that. Question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, I, I guess I'll just go. I, I mean, for me, I for, I didn't really like how Pangborn just leaves town. I thought it was kind of a cop uh-huh. out at the end of Needful Things. Like, what the hell's the deal? Out? Like. <laughs> yeah I, I actually I, I think yeah no pun intended there um but uh and I also kind of thought that the way King closes out needful things is a little maudlin like I get you're moving mm-hmm. away and you're like we're done with Castle Rock I'm not gonna do it anymore but also I'm like why like you know it's a setting just go I mean he goes back obviously in Nightmares and Dreamscapes and he's you know he's since gone back there in Elevation with uh you know the enchilada restaurant and all but like I just it just seems so over the top, like you know, like the, like he's made, like you know, you're already making a statement with it that you're like moving away from like horror. Needful things is like this last hurrah. It just felt so like on the nose to have like, all right, well, Pangborn's leaving with Polly, and like we're also gonna have you know the town explode. And all. It just felt a little bit much. And then I already mentioned, but like Nick Andrews' death in the stand is just so fucking pointless. Like mm-hmm. it, it's just like, hey, watch, you know, he doesn't even stop anyone. Like everyone, if he just ran out with everyone, he probably would have been fine. But like yeah. he goes and runs and looks for the bomb and it's like, well, what are you going to do? And then well, you don't do anything because you die. And it's like, so yeah. what, what was the point of that? And like the plot. death. It's just a plot yeah. death. Yeah. So that's for me. But uh, Caffrey, what would you rewrite? Um, I was with Randall. I, I also picked a dog death. And this this one legit bothers me for thematic reasons. At the end of Gerald's game, when mm-hmm. she has her lights on the dog and she thinks the dog is going to attack, but it doesn't. I really thought she was going to take the dog in the car with her and take it home. And that would make mm-hmm. sense, right? They're both survivors of this horrific ordeal. They've both been abused by the horrible man that they've lived with. Right. But then in the end she just leaves it and the dog gets shot by the cops for no, like I, I fucking hated that. Not just cause I like yeah. dogs even, but because I felt like King was totally setting it up for them to connect together. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I was almost, I almost didn't know why they did that. I mean, I guess theoretically the dog is, it's not rabid, but it's, it's gone feral. But yeah, I, I, what I got from that scene was like, that dog isn't so scary. It's actually been through a lot of the same shit she has. And so yeah, it, like legit, i love Gerald's game, but it legit bugs me that that dog dies in the end. So I would, uh, what's the same Prince, I think is, is I think Prince. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would want the Prince to live and rule the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caffrey, that really genuinely charmed me. So, uh, <laughs> like, what should, what should we read what Courtney has for the next question? All right. We have 10. Courtney Hahn. Hey, Courtney. Um, out of all of King's great stingers, do you guys have a favorite? Mine is probably Gage's. It still gives me chills. Wait, stingers. What, does that's, that like, mean? that's like in the in Pet Cemetery, and they're like, um, you know, they were enjoying Gage's, you know, so he would, this would be the last, like Gage, he'd be dead in like two uh, two months or something like that. You know, like when he does, oh, it's like the, the, the yeah, class, when I always oh, call it like gotcha, the classic yeah. King foreshadowing where he like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Puts sure. it, yeah. 
Oh, man. Uh, I've got I've got one yeah, go ahead, from Randall. the stand uh, when I believe Bobby Terry gets killed um, uh, for shooting the judge in the head. Um, the narration says there were things worse than crucifixion. There were teeth. And that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's a, and like he's. Yeah, that's yeah. such a cool, like creepy, evocative stinger. I've always loved that one. I have a I have another Stan one, um, and I've I've said it so many times in this podcast, but uh, it actually has links to the Halloweenies podcast because it involves a Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, it's when Larry goes to see one of the sequels, which I believe at this time, since it was the reboot of the Stan, probably would have been like Final, maybe Freddy's Dead or um, maybe a Nightmare on Elm Street Five. But either way, he goes to see it, and then King says like, "Oh, the ending suggested that Freddy would be back, but we all knew that that wasn't, you know, that." he wouldn't be back nobody would be back mm. you know and like that's so ooh, that like stuck with me because that's the type of stuff that i'm that i would probably think about <laughs> in that situation like oh well we're not going to get any more stranger things great um you know mm. um and then also i just love the way that like he kind of infers like a lot of the more spiritual elements going on in the shining um he he does a lot of like teasing and and kind of pulls ahead some of the details um early on and it just hits you really hard it kind of reminds me of the way that um some of the best horror directors could get a scare out of like the little nuances in movies sometimes where you just like little things that you just notice you're like oh wow that that is actually fucking really terrifying when you think about it um and i feel like the shining is that really well like when the the book is at its most scariest when king is doing those little stingers but um Mm -hmm. i don't know what about you jen um, well, I actually misread this question, and I was thinking, like, the stinger endings. Um, but so if, I guess if I think of, like, one of those foreshadows, I always think of Dana Jurgens when she's leaving. Oh, and yeah. it's so on the nose, and it's, like, the classic one. Like, and nobody in the free zone ever saw Dana Jurgens again. But I think, like, the way that plays out, especially being early in his career when he hadn't really kind of leaned into that so hard, like, it just sets like the stakes of this thing that they're sending each other on you know and that these are real people's lives and that they may not come back and just kind of it's heartbreaking you know especially since like i've loved that character so much yeah yeah hello this is jason co-host of the all 80s movies podcast with a message from factor meals warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto factors fresh never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes so no matter how busy you are you will always have time to enjoy nutritious great tasting meals with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you will always have new flavors to explore treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon head to factormeals.com 80s movies 50 and use code 80s movies 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Caffrey, did you find any? I mean, I guess this isn't foreshadowing, but I think I think it's in the tone of what y'all are talking about. Um, in Salem's Lot where, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of foreshadowing because it's before we really know that they're vampires. It's where Matt is here. Um, Matt has Mike over at his house. I think it's Mike. Um, mm-hmm. and he talks about overhearing him getting bitten and he just refers to it as, um, was it the, the sweet evil laughter of a child f- 
followed by the sucking sounds or something like that. It's, it's some, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I'm probably paraphrasing it a little bit, but I'm, I've always thought that was creepy ever since I was a kid. I, th- I think that's a stinger. It's funny because mm-hmm. at first I was like, oh, maybe Courtney meant to write singers. And I'm like, mine's Larry Underwood. But So yeah, that's, that's mine. I'm actually now trying to think of any other singers that are in King's universe other than mm-hmm. like, you the know, ba- they got a hell of a band. I was just thinking yeah, about that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess um, at that point is top tier singers. Oh um, no! And um, always oh, a guitarist, but in revival, um, yeah, the main mm, character is a mm-hmm, musician. Jamie. Yeah, um, trying. He's yeah. he's a good character. Uh, who? Yeah, who else? I'm trying to think. Can't think any. Well, while you think about that, I'm going to ask one more question. Um, it's by oh, our yeah. boy uh, Brian Burnett. Um, What's up, Brian? Always raises hell for us on uh, the, the <laughs> comments, and I love him for it. But. Uh, if Stanley Kubrick had directed another King adaptation between, say, 1987, Full Metal Jacket, and 1999, Eyes Wide Shut, what would you choose for him to have done? If you answer well, I'll loan you my your Kindle so you can read some <laughs> reviews of it from the universe where it happened. <laughs> okay. Randall, why don't you take this one? Uh, the one that came to mind for me, and this is tough, but... I think it would be cool to see Stanley Kubrick's version of the dark half. Um, I was thinking of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think just the general idea of madness identity. And I think that there's a lot of humor to be mined. And I've always Mm -hmm. found Stanley Kubrick's sense of humor to be very like appealing um, as, as mired as it is in the darkness of his movies. And so I, and he does, he is able to balance those things really well. And, uh, and I, yeah, so I think like in those terms, but I don't know, there's a part of me that also thinks about Christine a little bit because um, Mm -hmm. I do think it would be interesting just to see sort of um, a spooky take on teen romance and friendship from somebody like Kubrick. Uh, I don't know. Those were the two that popped to mind for me. So. Jen. I had uh, Dolan's Cadillac. I think mm. that would be really interesting because especially like when I think about The Shining and how he's like so clearly shows somebody just slowly going mad. And I think that story, there's so much darkness in that story. And I don't know if it always comes across on the page um, that I think he could really pull out of it. And it's just such a like tight, contained story. Um, also think Nicholson could do a pretty good Dolan. Um, but I also <laughs> thought about the jaunt and I think this might be a little earlier, but I think he could make a really interesting version of that. Oh man. Yeah. I didn't even think about the jaunt he could have done a really good job, especially with, especially if he hooks up with Arthur C. Clarke again, which, you know, if this is <laughs> supposed to be in the nineties, he could totally could have, um, Caffrey, w- w- which one did you have? I actually chose the Tommy knockers because to me, what Kubrick does when he adapts most of the books that he does with the exception of uh, Clockwork Orange, I feel like he almost takes just the book's essence and then makes mm-hmm. it his own, you know, like the shining, yeah. he almost takes the bare minimum of what you need to make not even a faithful shining adaptation, but just a, a, a shining adaptation. And then he puts his own spin on, he kind of fills it in with the Kubrickian elements. And so I think with Tommy knockers, which is a book I actually like, but it's very convoluted and too mm-hmm. long. I think he could take, I'm get, I, I almost imagine he would, make it more hermetic he would just focus on on bobby and um oh god what's the what's the dude's name um oh guard Gard, gardener Gard. yeah i feel like he would i feel like he would almost focus on that and actually maybe make it a little more shining-esque um sort of really using the aliens to really examine loneliness and, and addiction rather than mm-hmm. all this other stuff going on in the town i think he could make a really minimalist stark creepy version of tommy knockers 
Mm, well, that'd he- be cool. Hey, speaking of minimalism, I, I, I went with also, uh, I was debating around Dark Half. And then I, I also thought like, granted, like in the late, by then, this would be like in the 90s. He's kind of already moving around and not as stoic as he was in like, say, like the 70s and the 80s. But I think a chamber drama like Misery or Gerald's Game would be really challenging for him, um, especially mm-hmm. Gerald's Game. I think like with the stuff he could do at Gerald's Game, getting in her head and kind of playing with the one location could be kind of cool. Um, but I actually really struggled with this because if you're really going by the timeline of when he was alive, you really are like limited to like a lot of the books that he's published that time and things that he had already known about, you know, in from, you know, 1980 previously. So um, another one I was thinking was maybe Dolores Claiborne, just because it's a, the Island might have some cool, uh, Kubrickian elements to it but uh mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think I'm gonna go back to it where I was saying like I think Dark Half would probably be like the best one for um that or the, the, the these are all great answers I th- it'd be great but hey Stanley if you're up there uh <laughs> hope you enjoy these ideas uh Jen you love uh, this next subject why don't you read the next one number 12 all right this is from Casey Russell with the st- oh, I love this question. With the strong relationship Mike Flanagan has with Netflix and his recent interview talking about how he wants to tackle the Dark Tower, do you think we might eventually see Netflix okay a series or maybe even a series of movies with Flanagan at the helm? Or do you think any future attempts in an adaptation are going to be pretty far off? Um, I Flanagan, I love him, so I will watch anything he makes. Um, and I think he could do the Dark Tower very well. Um, I don't know if I really want to see that right now. I feel like I might need a little space from the last one. It it feels like it's just too close. But I think, especially seeing what he's done with, um, like, The Haunting of Hill House, um, I would love to see what he does with it. And I do think he would honor it and kind of, like, what you're saying about Kubrick, take the essence of it and make it work. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm conflicted about that one because I'll watch anything he makes, but... Yeah, I I, was, I don't think they're touching this property for a while. Yeah, I know. I, I think after Amazon said no, they're probably like, "Well, Jesus, they they're doing anything." So <laughs> why? Why? Yeah, I think why, we're why would no. We I think this? we're just. I think we're probably. I think we're probably a decade from another attempt at Dark Tower, honestly. Uh huh. Yeah. And I think so. I think we need a breath from it. You know. Yeah. And and I think he, I think he'd do a good job with it. But and also, I don't know. I. It's funny because we we always talk about this. Like I, I I like the Dark Tower, I do, but I'm also I just don't view it as the definitive King work, like a lot of people yeah. do. And I think too, especially with COVID right now, I don't think Hollywood's going to be taking too many gambles on things that aren't surefire no. bets. And as we've already seen, Dark Tower, I mean, Dark Tower could be a surefire bet if they had given it the Dune treatment, right? But um. Yeah, I, th- I think I think any studio is gonna just want to stay distant from that for the time being. But it would it would be cool to see him tackle it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think if they did do it though, I, I actually don't think Flanagan's a good choice. Um, I think he's. Uh, I, I I think that like it needs someone with like a bolder pedigree. You know, like I keep saying like like a George Miller. Like we talked about George, like a like a person like George Miller. Um, you know, or Jodorowsky, like like th- those types that are going to be able to kind of get the kind of breadth that you need, or like even a Denis Villeneuve. But like, honestly, if you're going to do a series though, for a sprawling world with tons of characters, I'm going to go with my boy from Supernatural and the boys, Eric Kripke. Like, I think he would actually do a really good job. <laughs> I, I'm, but no, seriously, like Supernatural 
just from I, I don't know, I'm, on, I'm on season 14 now and it is cra- <laughs> like I've, the first five seasons there's so many arcs that happen there mm-hmm. but that's that first five season run he nails all those arcs and like he brings them around and wraps them all around in such good ways that I, I and they're so ludicrous sometimes that I actually do think that like he would be the perfect person to make the Dark Tower actually happen but Hey, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of the boys on Amazon Front. Yeah, <laughs> streaming now. Well, are you a big fan of Connor McGovern? Because you're going to read his next question. All right, let me bring it up here. <laughs> Connor McGovern says, "Does Stephen King write adult novels? No disrespect, as a constant reader, I believe he does. My wife, who has never read him, recently told me that she assumed his books were all for late teens, early twenties. Um, I think you know, I think questions like this, it's uh, I don't know, I don't know." what like the the distinction of adult novel you know i think those things have become blurrier mm-hmm. over you know the last several mm-hmm. years now that sort of ya has become more widely embraced uh and is something that i think a lot more adults are reading and obviously harry potter sort of greased the wheels there i mean i think i do understand like the general concept of an adult novel like something that perhaps uh engages more philosophically or culturally or socially with certain topics um and is perhaps more focused on those than it is on plot but for me yeah i mean but for me the whole concept of like an adult novel is not something i really subscribe to anymore i think uh I think I love, I am an adult and I read Stephen King and I find parts of it. I, lo- I, I learn new things now reading them that I mm-hmm. didn't when I was young because I mm-hmm. am an adult now. <laughs> yep. Like reading, mm-hmm. I'm reading Rose Matter right now for the podcast and I'm having a, a much more um, illuminating read now than I did when I was 14, you know, because mm-hmm. this is a, a book that is very much about adult issues. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of his work of this era is so, I don't know, what. how do you guys respond to this question? I'm the same way. I mean, total ditto on my end. I, I think it's these it's a murky element because I, I mean, I've read these books as a kid, but at the same time, like revisiting these, as you said, as an adult, like you go look at this dead zone and I take that book in such a different consideration than I did when I was reading it as a teen. There's just so much perspective that you have as an adult, especially with some of his relationships that he wires in there that you kind of get it a little bit more than just a narrative level. You actually kind of get it from like, psychologically where King was at the time, like, which is a way that you're never going to read as a kid or as a teen or anyone, you're just going to take it point blank. And like, for me, it's like, I constantly question where was King's head at when he wrote this book? Like, and what Mm -hmm. does that say about the characters and what do those characters say about my own sort of experiences as an adult and, and the relations that I get from, and the parallels that I make based on a lot of these adult decisions kind of scream the fact that, yeah, these are mature books. Like, I mean, there's so many books that he has in his catalog that speak to adult themes. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's a murky line. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, like when I was doing my chronological reread, I could see like the themes in his life come and go and like kind of to track how old he was when he was writing them. Um, it was so fascinating to try to kind of put myself in his shoes. And I, I can kind of see where this question is coming from because I think a lot of us fell in love with Stephen King when we were teenagers. And I think there is definitely an appeal there to like an evil car that drives itself, you know, um, that I think there's a quality to his writing that's very digestible for young adult readers. Um, 
And it's it always reminds me of The Simpsons. It's like you can like The Simpsons on the surface, but then you dig in and there's so much more there. And I think King's writing has that too. And that's why like we can read books like when we're kids and then have a completely different understanding of it. Like Pet Cemetery has grown more terrifying to me as I've gotten older. Hundred you know, percent. Because there's just uh-huh. so much more there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think too it's it's funny. I think of the things that maybe scared me or drew me into the books when I was younger the more transgressive kind of stuff like the the poop and the well yeah. no, that's not true i'm still i'm still drawn to the the, the poop and, uh, no but um but you know now now i can kind of laugh at those things and make fun of them but i think when i was a kid i probably thought those things were cool right and that's what where mm-hmm. for me that's where the energy of stephen king books was was in the guts and as yeah as we've gotten older i think you're more attracted to the the philosophical ideas in it and the the brains of it rather um yeah, I mean, who am, who am I kidding? I still like the sex and the poop and all that stuff, but um, yeah, <laughs> who it's doesn't? Just, it's different. Yeah. yeah, well, I think when I was little, it was almost like, oh my god, like you're genuinely kind of skeeved out by it in a creepy way. Whereas now, you're like, oh, that's not scary. That's just a little, a little silly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what's not silly is the next question, Kathy, and I want you to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good for it. All right, cool. This is uh, number fourteen from Isaac uh, Wiken or Wiken. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Isaac says, is there a specific type or style of horror that King has either not written or has underwritten that you'd like to see more of specifically in his 70 plus year old writing voice? Please, for the love of God, do not say more old folks and campers acting as energy vampires. Isaac, <laughs> I agree. I would even just say no more energy vampires. I'm sick yeah. of the fucking energy vampires. <laughs> I'm done with them. Um, I know, I know we've talked about a lot about like aquatic horror on yeah. the podcast. That, that would be a cool thing to see, but you know what? I would love to see, I mean, I I miss him just writing some straight, really, really straightforward horror, yeah. um, which he's done in his short stories, not quite as much in his books for a while, in his full-length novels. I would love him to see him tackle something really simple again, like a werewolf. He's really mm-hmm. only done that in Cycle of the Werewolf and a little bit in The Talisman, I think, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Any, you're and, correct. And I feel like it would be really cool to see, and those books are both you know, the werewolf element's a subplot of the talisman and it's, and cycle the werewolf is a pretty thin, uh, novella. I would love him to love to see him give the big emotional, epic, small town, big, uh, small town, big cast treatment to a werewolf novel. Like just pick the most simple horror novel. Don't worry about connecting it to the, you know, cotets or whatever else. Just like it's Mm -hmm. a vampire and like do, do a Salem's lot with a werewolf. Like, I think that would be so cool. And I think by choosing a werewolf, he would almost force himself to really focus on the characters and the non-supernatural stuff and, but, and just keep it really straightforward when it comes to the monsters. That's me. Mm. Uh, yeah. What about the rest of you, though? Uh, I have three words. Little yeah. green men. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think he d- should go sci- Yeah, he needs to go sci-fi a little bit more. It's it's weird that he hasn't. But I feel like he's done Aliens in... I mean, he's done, he's done Aliens a few times. Don't you guys think so? I, I, I want more. I want more. But, but the thing is, the thing with his Aliens, though, is that they're always they're always like twilight zone aliens it's like they're not really mm-hmm. it's not exactly yeah, sci-fi yeah. it's more of like um you know ground level uh sort of metaphors that uh, you know very richard matheson-esque where you're like he's, he's not doing like an et or like a or a th- close encounters kind of thing yeah it's, it's usually more like yeah a little more of i distant. want i want more Dreamcatcher aliens but yeah I don't i don't want it to be all in people's fucking heads yeah. I want to deal with the aliens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He always <laughs> no does. No poop either. T- yeah, and, uh, I want the poopy weasels. Yeah, no, no poopies. Well, he does. You're right, because I guess in, in Under the Dome, the aliens are um, 
they're like so far away and not not truly connecting to the humans, right? And then Tommyknockers mm-hmm. is dead aliens that are causing hallucinations. Then Dreamcatcher, it's al- live aliens causing hallucinations. So yeah, I guess you guys are right. He never really does even like something like I am the doorway. It, it, it like it's so distant, right, from humanity. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the love. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the Lovecraft influence coming out because Lovecraft always does these sort of far away, hard to understand kind of aliens. I don't know. Well, speaking of Lovecraft, I mean, that's why I think he could start flexing his love for that author by doing like aquatic horror. Um, mm. And it, with Lovecraft country being so big, it's only a matter of time before he starts binging that and tweeting about it. If he hasn't already. <laughs> and so I, I imagine he's going to be like, you know, I love are... the subtle disdain you had. <laughs> no, there's no disdain. I think it's funny. Like, I, like, I mean, we all do it, but like, it's just funny when he, when he, when you could tell when he catches on to something, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, he goes all in. So if oh, he does in newsletter, yeah, I mean, Which and, and you can so, get if you subscribe to our Patreon, that is very true. <laughs> uh, the dairy Gazette, a great read once a month. Um, but the thing is, he could totally do it. And if we're going to use the model that you're talking about, Caffrey, with like almost like the Salem's Lot model, I mean, I would love that for a werewolf. I would love that for aliens. And I'd certainly love it for like some sort of like monster, sea monster, something like sea involved. Um, and I don't know why he doesn't. And I, and, I, and I think that you could do all three of those genres and get really hard with the horror, which he hasn't, mm-hmm. he really hasn't done in a while. Um, yeah. You know, so well, anyway. Um, yeah. What about this? Jen, did, we, did you, did you get to answer that one? I'm sorry. I didn't. No, no. And I, I have said this before, but I want him to write a story about a witch and I want it to be a really scary, evil witch or maybe a coven and they can like just be witches together. And maybe they, I just want, I want a witch story. I want him to kind of like lean into maybe some occult. Horror yeah. Cause I don't think he's really gone there before. And he has never really written anything about Halloween, yeah, that, which I think would be really interesting. I think, yeah, yeah, that's a good he point. Did, he did a cult horror in Night Shift, and we didn't really like it back then. But yeah. it's been what fifty years or something, right? So. Yeah, oh, with, I, feel uh, like I know what you need. Do- yeah. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes um, something sometimes they, they, come, come, back. they come back. Yeah, yeah, both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess he does it a little bit in the stand with Nadine, but then again, mm-hmm. that's just flag. It's not like an actual yeah. occult thing. I'm yeah. trying to think if he. And then there's Grandma, but I mean, I want a story about a witch, and she lives in the forest, yeah. and she Th- has a really cool that's witch like house, a- and. <laughs> I'm trying to think because yeah, even on Halloween, yeah, it's like, the only it, thing I can it's even that think and Ray of the Coos are the only witches I can think of. Yeah, yeah. well, eleven twenty-two takes place in Halloween. Has a Halloween scene. That's right, and then there's the pink. Well, they, I think there's a Halloween element in Under the Dome, but nothing really happens. Like I want yeah, a scary like fall, Halloween right? story, or like a scarecrow yeah. in a cornfield or something. And there's like Halloween elements of like nightmares and dreamscapes uh, a little bit, but not mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, if it was like a solely Halloween king tale, that would be awesome. Yeah. King of Ween. He should do King a King <laughs> He should do a, a horror anthology called King of Ween. It's just a bunch of King different Ween. horror stories. That's that so bad. King of Ween. <laughs> so, like, That's so what we're going to call it. Next month King on the Losers Club. <laughs> I think it should be called Hollow Steve. Hollow Steve. <laughs> all, wait, all Hallows. All Hello Steve. All, all Hello Steve. I love it. <laughs> Look at this. Caffrey with the creativity. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> love it. Um, who wants to give read you, uh, Magic Ears? <laughs> 15. Hayden Claiborne. I'll take this one. Okay, good, John. All right, go for it. Okay. Do you think there will be another official publication of the 78 version of The Stand? I I don't know. I think if COVID had not happened, yes. Yeah. 
but given like the the show premiering, and I think it's it would kind of be a novelty. Um, but I don't know. I don't think so. And I don't necessarily know if we need one. But if we did, I had this, uh, I went down this whole th- thing in my head where like I was picturing the crown where she's like looking at the pictures of the stamps of like old her <laughs> and young her. And I was like picturing Gary Sinise and James Marsden on the cover of it, kind of just looking at each other as old and young stew. <laughs> so if they do that, that's what the cover should be. But no, I don't think that, that they will. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think there's, we're eventually just going to get everything in his vault. Uh, you know, down the, mm-hmm. you know, years down the road. I mean, it happened with Nirvana. It's going to happen with King. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think they probably would have capitalized on the miniseries a little bit more this year uh, had yeah. it not been for, for COVID. But I mean, they still could. I, I, I just don't, it seems weird that they like, would, yeah, I don't know. Like, well, I, could, I could see like Cemetery Dance doing a limited mm-hmm. republishing yeah, or something like that. A limited one maybe. Yeah. I just, I don't think that they would, I feel like it's been decided that the long version is the definitive mm-hmm. one. I well, the, yeah. the one I have on my shelf is the is the standard one. I was yeah, I was really? at a I was at a friend's house for dinner and I was like, "Oh my god, you have a he's not even a Stephen King fan." And him and his partner had had it and I was like, "You have this? This is like hard to find." And they're like, "Yeah, just take it." And uh little did they know mm. what they were giving up. Uh, I mean, they, did, they just <laughs> didn't give a shit because they're not a nerd like me. But um Oh, yeah, I well, lent my copy to someone and I never got it back. Oh. Ooh, you should get that. I, I get that from you know. And well, we broke up. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it'd be kind of hard now. Well, I think I think too that like King, he seems a little stubborn about recognizing sort of backtracked versions of his own work. Like he do- like with The Shining, right? He still gets a little prickly. I feel like when they ask him about Kubrick's The Shining, even though he's admitted since oh, that it's no, 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 he's no, 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 he's not over it. Like I, I was just reading the introduction <laughs> for like Dance Macabre because um, I've just been reading it for a their special feature that we're gonna be doing um, in a month from now. But like they, God, he's still harps on the fucking shine like he's just like 1408 like he's like going over movies that scared him he's like you know 1408 loved it um this much more like the, the rooms in the doll the fictional dolphin hotel scarier than anything in that um overlook <laughs> hotel from kubrick and it's just like all right dude come on like give yeah. me a fucking break and then he goes and throws more shade uh a little later on i think it's about adaptations or something like that but like it's just like, man, you could tell it just still boils. I was like literally reading these aloud and like Sam and I were just like cackling. Like, and like it just like feel like this is insane. Like he still holds a grudge on this and it's been like 30 fucking years. Like, he hates it, man. Yeah. And and so I think, yeah, I think with this, I mean, and I know there hasn't been quite the comparison between the expanded stand and the original, but yeah, I feel like, you know, if, if it has his stamp on it and he's like, no, the kid's stuff should have been there or whatever else, then that's how it is. But yeah, I, I reread the standard version recently and man, I, I think it's far and away better than the extended version, but I agree. Really? Yeah. I think, I think so. I mean, there, there is, there are some, honestly, the thing that I miss the most, um, that is in the expanded version is the, the kind of, um, fly on the wall chapters about people who aren't the main characters who are dying, you know, like, like mm-hmm. where it kind of goes around the country and looks at other pockets of civilization who are succumbing to the virus. That's, that's, I missed that a lot in the regular version. Yeah. Outside of that though, like I could, I could kind of do without the rest of it. Yeah. I like uh Franny and her mother, the scene. In the oh parlor. yeah. That's good. No. Yeah. You're yeah. right. That's good too. That is good. But Yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. Although I love the uncut version and I'll defend all of those meeting notes. <laughs> yeah. What about the kid though? What about the kid? Oh, oh yeah. I, I could lose the kid. Yeah. And honestly, I don't hate the kid. I kind of like the inclusion of a story. I just don't like a lot of the things that he does. So if you cut like a fourth of the kid's story, I wouldn't mind it. He's a bad little also, kid. Yeah, just, yeah, he's a bad little boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I actually just watched uh, the movie Badlands for the first time, which I hadn't seen, which is also based on, 
loosely based on Charles Starkweather, um, the serial killer the kid is based on. And watching Martin Sheen play him without, you know, a gun rape scene, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, this is actually, you're, you're right, Jen. Like, it's an interesting character, right? Like, he's, mm-hmm. as a killer and as a scary, a scary presence, he's kind of compelling. It's just when it goes so far over the top, you're like, Jesus Christ, right. like, do we really need that? So, anyway. Yeah. Hey, we don't need that happy crappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't need all that happy cra- I tell you. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I could have done with, like, five less of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sweet 16, Anthony Stokert says is there a king book you've reread that had a scare plot point or character development that completely surprised you or was even drastically different from your memory of the first read and i gotta rack my brain on this but like i want to say for me when we reread this stan in 2017 the whole fate of judge ferris like Mm. eh, Mm. like you know that whole second like that whole like sequence where he's alone and he's on the road and there's like the crow like i absolutely forgot about that and it really did shock me just kind of how they they wrote his ending um it really kind of creeped me out too um but i couldn't really think of any other ones outside of that um what about what about you jen do you have any that that rereading because you've done your reread already just this but you finished I your have, reread yeah. this past year yeah right before um if it bleeds came out yeah. um I, the one that stood out to me was, and it wasn't one that I didn't remember, I remembered incorrectly, it was, I was so shocked when there was a character and bag of bones that died, and I don't want to spoil it, because we haven't covered it yet, but there's one, and I still kind of, I was like, oh, is this person going to come back as a ghost, because it's like a ghost story, and I kept thinking that was going to happen, and it didn't end, or it didn't ruin the end of the book for me, but I just, I was so shocked at that turn of events, so yeah, that's mine. I guess I'll I'll reveal what it is when we get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll have to remember this in like two yeah. years from now. <laughs> I'll store it, yeah. Yeah, yeah my answer is uh, easy. I just, when I reread The Running Man, like I, lo- I loved that novella when I was a kid and I hated it upon reread. <laughs> like I just, mm-hmm. like I, I, I remember like kind of being excited to revisit it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, this, this is awful. This can't end fast enough. So yeah. <laughs> that's mine. Mm-hmm. How about I, you, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, and for, yeah, mine's also a Bachman book. Honestly, and I liked it as a kid, but rereading The Long Walk was actually way scarier for me than when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean the physical details of mm-hmm. how these young men were, were starting to get picked off and die. Like, I, I feel like as a kid, I didn't really look at it like a horror novel. I looked at it more as a, a dystopian YA thing, which it is kind of, but I actually think that book is way scarier than than I remembered it being as, as a kid. Like I remember from that, that episode, we were all, we're all pretty disturbed by just the general conceit of it, you know, on the pod. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, and just little details like the jelly sandwiches and the, 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 I think that book's actually a lot more rich and evocative than I remember it being. So yeah, that would be Mm -hmm. mine. Yeah. Well, who wants to take uh, number 17? Uh, I'll the take age it. Age of Laurie Strode and John Tate, actually. If we're gonna keep it, uh, uh, keep, keep it spooky. <laughs> Tim Vargalish uh, says, if Steven starred in his own sitcom, would I you rather it be a family sitcom about him and Tabby trying to raise their three kids, or would you prefer something more like Seinfeld, <laughs> where it's more about Steven and his friends hanging out? I got oh, an, I got a whole, I got a whole, whole uh, show already ready to go. All right, I'm you go. It over to you. All right, I want the latter. <laughs> Um, but I want to call it, it's called King's Tavern. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always winner. It doesn't matter when, like the show can run all year, but it's always winner. Um, very Northern exposure-esque. 
Um, so it's just King and the Boys at the bar. Um, and it's just a complete Cheers ripoff that lasts maybe like a fucking <laughs> single season on ABC. And it always it always ends with like 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 with one of the bar flies being like, oh, we've heard that one, Stephen. And then it's like, dun, 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 and then like it just ends on that. So it always ends on the same punchline, which is probably why it only lasts one season. But it's just like it's literally just Stephen King hanging out with main bar flies the entire time. And, you know, maybe there's like a cool sassy like bartender that, you know, might get between him and Tabitha and which Tabitha we never see. It's like Norm's <laughs> wife in Cheers. We just like never meet her. So. Does uh do like famous authors show up like because they get oh, yeah. Dean Koontz gets his gets stranded. He's one of the, the boys. Really. He's one of the boys <laughs> in the bar. <laughs> oh, he's there. Him and James, him and James Patterson like have like a Newman Jerry relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh is he him and Mar- Margaret Atwood are friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it Mar- like, yeah, right, Margaret. Yeah, yeah, yo, he like, is fr- yeah, she, he is friends with her. Yeah. She, she's the server. Yeah, <laughs> like, why are they all working in a bar? It makes no, no sense. Yeah. Like, one of the episode plots points could be like, you know, they get like a traveler coming in. And it's just like, oh, I just picked up this crappy book from the airport, and they can't figure out like who it is. And it's like, it's like the whole episode is just like King and Koontz and like Patterson, <laughs> like doing bets on who the who's the who's the author that they've like bought it from. And then at the end, it like turns out to be John Grisham, but like. <laughs> Only the bartender finds out, so he says, "Like, you know, it was it, it was Grisham." And then, you know, they're like, "Oh, thank God!" And then at the end, like King, like they're closing the bar up, and then like King turns turns around and it's just like, "It wasn't really Grisham, was it?" And he's like, "It was Kuntz." And it's like, <laughs> freeze frames, you nice. know. What if what if like uh. He it, there's like a Halloween episode and uh, Patterson's at the bar the whole time. He's like he, he has like a vampire mask on or something, and he's just not talking. And then you know King's King's like, oh come on, James, we get the jokes over. And then all the other stuff in the episode happens. And at the end, it's just Patterson left, and King's like, all right, Patterson, really take off the mask. And he like snaps the mask back, and it's just like the same vampire face underneath. And King's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> just like, and they never acknowledge it ever again in the next episode. Just totally yeah. completely re- rewritten. Uh, Love it. God, if only this show existed right now, we'd binge like all thirty episodes. King's um, did it, Randall? Did you have a? I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Just totally. Oh no, I, I I can't follow yours up. I I mm. fully support your vision, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone got any other shows? Well, I do think there's a spinoff season there where he moves out to Boulder. Maybe he finds his long lost father and he has like a wacky recliner that he sits in and like a kooky dog. So I think there's a lot of material there to play with. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then Tabby comes back out to get him and he's like, no, no, I'm reconnecting with my dad. And then you see right. the, the dad like, bet like selling Stephen King's man signed manuscript to his friends. And she, and then she's like, but he's not reconnecting with you. And then he like realizes that, he realizes his dad is like still a piece of shit and he doesn't want to have a relationship with him. And he goes, he goes back to, and then he walks into the tavern at the end of it. And he's like, mm-hmm. ah, it's good to be home. <laughs> yeah. It takes kind of a dark turn. But yeah. it's, it's funny. Cause my initial yeah. instinct was to say they're trying to raise the three kids just cause we've done so much on the show with like, Hey Tabby, you know, like they're, but uh-huh. I, I can't be King. Yeah. King's a, a cheers, a cheers show with Stephen King's <laughs> the bartender. Just, uh, I'm all for it. It yeah. makes no sense. Like, why, why the hell would he be a bartender? But right. I love it. Love it, love it. Well, uh, who wants to take eighteen? I'll do. Uh, I'll do eighteen. You do it, Dan. Because Emily Winter, maybe she lives. 
in the town where it's always winter and goes. <laughs> Could be, yeah, forever winter. I'm just thinking of like I'm just thinking of like the Sim. You know that Simpsons episode where they do like all the spinoff shows, yep. like um, mm-hmm. like the Grandpa and the Love Machine and, and like Wigan PI and all, be like yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah Wigan PI. That's something. I've, okay. Um, I think it was Dan, probably, I think Dan Flieger. I think it was Dan who said in the Crimson King app that he thinks King has several more Dark Towers in him over the next couple decades. Hope he's still writing at 90. So do I. You've got one pitch to give King on what his next DT book is about. What do you tell him? I would love to see what turn it would take um, if you go back to the beginning, but in the time that Roland's got the horn, and this time he doesn't let uh, Jake drop. Um, It's funny because we were talking, I mean, I'd have to go back and, and double check, Flieger, I think, was talking about how the wind through the keyhole. I think he does have the horn, right? I, I think. Yeah. So like, I, it's, it gets I, convoluted, I don't but yeah, remember, yeah, but I feel like he does discuss that. I got to be honest, like when Dan said that, that he's got several more Dark Tower books in him, I was like, I don't know, buddy. Like, <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah, old, I think he's, man. <laughs> yeah. He, I think he's kind of moving on from it a little bit. Yeah. Um, Let's see how old, how old Stephen King 70, 73 yeah. I think this year yeah I mean if he if he like just focused on dark t- you know, I mean, I'm trying to think like he went through the keyhole is such like a a kind of companion piece or prelude right yes yeah, so I'm trying to think like where he would go I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like I think if I think if he did do more dark tower books he would automatically just do do it where Roland does have the horn, right? And doesn't mm-hmm. let Jake drop. Like I think that I think that's like where it would be headed. Because what you guys saw the movie, I didn't. And the isn't the idea that the movie is also supposed yes. to be a after sequel. he's gone back again? Yeah. Which is kind of silly with the movie because the movie is so not like the book, right? Or isn't it like not really doesn't feel connected to it? No. I just I just I just don't know what <laughs> I just don't know what more stories there are to tell like within like the I don't know I don't want to visit him with the horn you know I, mm-hmm. the story's done in my mind yeah. like uh, if yeah. anything show me write some Cuthbert books you know that's <laughs> like, that, well that was the thing I was saying it was like yeah. with Stephanie Meyer's new like Twilight book which takes place like it's like a different point of view I think it's an Edwards uh, point of view um, mm-hmm. I think he could do something like that for the Dark Tower where we kind of see maybe the not like the whole journey but at least like a point of the journey that would be from someone's point of view to kind of expand on it like a little bit like the comics have done um yeah you know i was gonna say that i mean the comics i and i haven't kept up with the comics in a few years but um they were doing you know kind of direct adaptations of every book but they were also doing the you know like the battle of eld and like these kind of sorry the battle of jericho hill and these side stories or or um prologues that you wouldn't see in the books you know so i th- I, th- yeah, I think if anywhere that would be the best kind of dumping ground i want to say dumping ground because the comics are good but yeah i feel like that's where i like i would like to see that and i, I mean dark tower for, for all its flaws and for as many people that had issue with the ending it is a pretty good final button i think mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so, I think so too. Yeah. yeah like i liked went through the keyhole a lot but that once again that also takes place i mean yeah technically i guess after once he has the horn but chronologically it t- takes place in the journey it's it's like in the beginning of it right or earlier on mm-hmm. so like yeah i don't know if you'd ever do a direct direct i feel like he won't do a direct sequel if anything he will do some more expanded universe kind of stuff but i think that's yeah. about it and that's what i want like there are 
not to spoil anything, Dinky Earnshaw and Ted Brodigan show up in some later books, mm-hmm. and they're in earlier books, and I want to know how they got to the that spot. Like, I would love for, like, maybe him to do kind of like a Breakers book. You yeah. Know? Kind of like Midnight Sun, like you were talking about. Like, I would love to know more about that world and, like, who those people are and maybe some of the kids from, like, some of the earlier novels, like Charlie McGee mm-hmm. or something shows up. So I would love, like, to expand the universe, like you said. I also tend to like the Dark Tower books that aren't totally set in Midworld. So I would like more, like, Dark Tower-adjacent stories to kind of connect a lot of yeah. the worlds. That would be cool. That would be cool. Also, um, Nadine in Midworld. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- we got to see the Nadine gunslinger. That's that's yeah, got to happen. Awesome. Um, why don't you read the next question from, uh, Hunter, who is our, uh, who owns Sophie, our, uh, August little, little Scujo. Hey, congratulations, Sophie. Um, okay. So my girlfriend and I are obsessed with King's author photos and want to know which Stephen King back book photo King look is your favorite. I don't know if this technically counts, but that picture of him from like his old college days where he just looks like a psychopath, <laughs> like his beard. Yes. I just love that. That's not the one I chose, but I, that is so fascinating. I think he's the most interesting person. Um, and I don't think he's super dreamy, but he's just fascinating. I picked um, mm-hmm. his cover on 112263, and it's a couple of books around that time. But he's got like the glasses, and it's black and white, and he's got short hair, and he's kind of looking like, "Why are you taking a picture of me?" And I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> I God, that's crazy. I, I echoed the same thing. It's just like the Ots. I think he looks great in, and mm-hmm. I think that's where his peak king. Um, yeah. But I do love the Charles Manson photo. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't remember if this was actually a photo in the back of one of his books. But my favorite photo of him is the black and white photo of him uh, type, like working at the typewriter with uh, his Corgi Frodo underneath his. Oh, I just Frodo. love that book. Um, of course, you could choose the Misery era uh, Stephen King, where he looks like Ed Kemper. But um, <laughs> mine is um, 1991 photo he took. He's got a kitty on his lap, and he's looking off to the side, and he's wearing his uh, his wireframe glasses. And um, it's it was on all the editions I read when I was young. So um, I, I I can't remember the exact editions I did, but I know this photo I'm pretty sure was also used in the Viking editions around that time. Um, and uh, I can't remember the ones that I had. I, I used to know, but I forgot. But yeah, it was always in the back of those. I mean, it was a very popular 90s photo mm-hmm. for him. So 90s king, kitty on his lap. Uh, looking looking smooth man so <laughs> that's uh that's mine and it's just because it was what was burned into my head when i was young yeah well and hey speaking of misery there's that hot picture of him and uh misery chastain herself yes <laughs> that's true Love that it. is true uh How about Caf- you, dan yeah all right so I, I found the photo i'm really excited because when i was a kid and i read the stand for the first time the original 1978 edition not the not the expanded one I remember thinking the back photo was so fucking funny because it had Stephen King in a suit on it, looking yes. mischievously at the camera with a cigarette. It, like it was, it was very like typical author photo. You know, it, it, it mm-hmm. was probably I'm sure his publisher made him do it. It doesn't look like the kind of photo. I'm gonna text it to all of you right now. It does. It's not the type of photo I feel like he would take normally. And I just thought it was so funny because it also just didn't really look anything like him. And I remember too, it was my dad's mm. birthday around the time that I read the book. And I made him a birthday card, and I randomly on the back of the card just drew that picture of Stephen King, <laughs> like drew him with a cigarette, and and my parents thought it was really funny. So yeah, that's that's mine. 
by far because it's it's such a 70s author photo and one yeah. that i think looks nothing like stephen king um yeah i just texted mm-hmm. it to you off but uh, yeah it's on the, it, i think it's i think it was only used on the on the back of the original edition of the stand i've never seen it anywhere else but that's mine yeah this this looks like his famous appearance when uh with like george romero on the dick cavett show oh like, yeah yeah like the mm-hmm. top the very talk show thing yeah it's uh i mean there's yeah. some other great like I, th- I think it's on the back of um the, one of the books that's with music it's like him and a guitar and like i think with uh <laughs> girl love tom gordon it's him playing baseball i mean he does <laughs> some of his author photos are really funny <laughs> yeah yeah love to see him just like picking up a guitar and just fucking going at it in an afternoon mm-hmm. just like i love this song um uh randall username yeah. needs attention daily go for it uh username needs attention daily says what period piece would you like to see king do outside the scope of his lifetime um oh man uh i'm not a big period piece guy so like i I like i like stuff that takes place in the here and now Mm -hmm. if i'm being honest (laughs) right here and now (laughs) yeah no um i don't know i mean i think maybe a piece if he wrote like during um I don't know, like a, an old plague or something like the bubonic mm. plague. I'd love to see sort of King tackle something from that era. I think that could be pretty cool. Like him set some kind of story against that. Hmm. Yeah. I always like, it's funny. Yeah, Cause he hasn't done a ton of period writing necessarily, but I do like when he does the kind of frontier old West sort of thing, like turn of the century. Um, you know, we like in it, we get a few of those scenes, right? Like back when Derry is being founded and then the mm-hmm. gunslinger, I guess you could say is kind of a Western. See, I, th- I think like late 1800s Western, but something set in that actual time period, maybe like a horror story set in that time period. Um, and that stays in it the whole time instead of just going there episodically. I think that that would be mm-hmm. cool. Uh, yeah. What about you, Jen? Um, I was thinking Dust Bowl. I think that would be yeah. interesting, kind of like just mysterious and like misty, but kind of in another kind of like a Western kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the farthest I would go back. I'm I, I like with I'm with yeah. Randall. I'm not a huge period piece uh, um, fan, I, I, especially like mm-hmm. especially anything like pre 18th or 19th century. I just start like glazing over, which is sad considering I have a history degree. So great job there, Mike. But, um, I, but my, my thing is with, with that, it's, yeah, I think the twenties and thirties would probably be the furthest back I'd want him to go. Cause I'm not a huge fan of Jerusalem's lot, that short story he did. And I think that kind of takes place, um, what late 1800s maybe or early 1900s. Yeah. I think it's I think. like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like kind of like cheap Lovecraft to me. So, um, yeah. What about if he did a story like, neanderthals like like just neanderthals like <laughs> fighting fighting a monster i think that would be cool well you could have a bunch of shit everywhere because they're not holding any pants so <laughs> oh you know you would you know it would know. be like like ugg uh, sat around the bonfire squatting and let out a bellowsome shit and then it turned on his <laughs> wife oh uh, god like, you're really capturing his fart voice in this episode yeah well dan since you're the fart king here um <laughs> Why don't you squat over this next question? This is uh, Nick Rem, I think. Oh, Nick Rem. (laughs) The fart king. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. If you had to change the name of the pod to something else Stephen King related, what would you change it to? My vote for is the Cujo Club, Stephen (laughs) King's podcast, Mm. P-A-W. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, Sammy, our, who runs our socials, thought that that was just the best name. Uh, I think she so. was right. I actually almost read Sammy note. This is absolutely yeah. outstanding. It, um, <laughs> man, 
Um, I got one. The girl who loved our podcast. Ooh. Uh, a Stephen yes. King podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the <laughs> longest title ever. I, I, but that would actually be a great, that, that's a catchy title though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was I was thinking, I was like, oh, instead, <laughs> instead the dead zone, the king zone. <laughs> <laughs> that's the laziest one. <laughs> uh, oh God. I mean, could you uh, need, needful kings? Did we, t- did we talk about kings? Needful that? King would need, be cool. Yeah. yeah need, need, be needful cool. King. Did we talk about that when we were naming the podcast? I, I think so. I think that was one of the ones yeah. we circled. Um, I don't also remember really discussing titles much at all. I feel like we were all pretty quick to say Losers Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was I, hey, and and pre pre it movie too. Which is, yeah, is oh yeah, it was definitely pre it movie. It was like like I think it was fall 2016 when we were kicking around. I, I shared yeah. a photo on our Patreon of what I believe is the first meeting of us discussing the Losers Club, which oh, is really? at your old house, and it was like. Caffrey holding like a bowl of chips or something like that. And I couldn't remember where it was from, but it was like fall of 2016. And it was around the time that we were starting to discuss this. And I think we were watching a movie that day. Um, it was probably at Max house then. Right. I feel like that's where we were. Yeah. We did a lot something. of meetings at Max old place. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, a joking one tongue in cheek would be the individual winners of Stephen King podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just so dumb. But how about um, Salem's pod? Salem's mm. Pod. That's a good one. I like Wait, that. Yeah. What's this? What's the this is the Story Society and the Breathing Method, and it's in something else later mm. on. What are they called? Oh, I, I think remember. it's just something simple, right? Isn't it just like the club or something? Yeah. Hold on, let me look it up. I'm looking it up right now. Um, yeah. What about, yeah, you, what about it, you, Jen? I went back to his old college column, and I thought King's Garbage Pod. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Which might not. Get, I mean, I don't know how positive deep cut, that sounds, deep cut, yeah. but yeah. Weird that yeah. I I can't. They actually don't say it in the Wikipedia, which is um, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just called the club. Oh, I mean, yeah. I I could be wrong, but that's uh, yeah. That would be a little weird. To just be like the club, a Stephen King podcast. Um, oh my god, you remember how they were like uh, how they were gonna make that into a movie? That was like yeah. news from years ago. Apparently Scott Derrickson was attached, but he's doing. Really? Oh, he was doing a Marvel movie, but he dropped out. And then he dropped out of that, and now Sam Raimi. He's not took doing over. the Doctor Strange. Sequence. I mean, I feel, no. I feel like more King movies, even with all the King properties we've had over the past few years, I feel like more King movies get canceled than they do actually made. I mean, oh, today yeah. that the Eyes of the Dragon got canceled, so it's yeah. like you know. Um, well, fun. did it get canceled or did Hulu just not go with it? I think it Hulu went somewhere else. Away with it. Well, it's just weird. It's like, I, I feel like there's been like a turn of the tide. Like we're seeing the turn of the tides right now because, mm-hmm. you know, two years ago, I mean, you couldn't get your hands on a Stephen King IP because someone else already grabbed it. And like now it's mm-hmm. like you have Amazon that's rejecting the Dark Tower, which seems insane considering the the fervor around Stephen King and I think that actually had largely more to do with Game of Thrones than anything else because I think because of Benioff and Weiss shitting the bed so bad in that last season that they um, they they I think Amazon might have taken that into consideration. But like between mm-hmm. that and the fact that this has been a whole year where we really haven't had one Stephen King adaptation. Granted, it's been COVID, but like even so, like the Stand and Lisey's story were really the only adaptations we were going to get this year. I feel like yeah. there was another one we discussed. I can't remember though. Although I don't know if it was like slated to come out this year, but there was one that we were discussing. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's just it's just very weird. And I'm, it's it's not that worried because you know like we're gonna still be doing this, but like it's definitely not at the the peak that it was back in like 2017. And and a lot of it probably had to do too with like 
it chapter two just not being the event as it was even though it became mm-hmm. like one of the top five highest grossing horror movies of all time i mean well it's, yeah it's just weird it's it's odd um yeah well i mean we have other names that we've we've we're gonna i guess we'll keep uh, just in case. There's some yeah. we won't say just in case it ever has to happen. Yeah, so. yeah, we, we've got some names. Um, but hey, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of them pop up uh, in recent times, so uh, let's hope it doesn't get taken. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> next question uh, by Tom Clancy and our friend Sean Clancy's brother, Jeff Clancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is just stupid inside joke on our part, uh, except for the Tom Clancy part. But uh, Jeff Clancy, asked, he actually asked, like, three different questions so we're gonna go with one uh you only get one it's okay it's okay jeff you can <laughs> save them for the next time you'll get it in because i actually really like your questions a lot um i want to go with two if you had the option of burying any one dead king character in the pet cemetery who would it be um and i my, my mind went to my my main man johnny smith could you imagine <laughs> could you imagine a telekinetic zombie like I mean, that would be fucking awesome. Like, I mean, he he's going to go and attack you and then also can see, I don't know what he'd do with that information considering he's a zombie, but, you know, it could be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> now, could be kind of cool. Are you saying they, yeah. do they come back as, you know, zo- like, yeah, like zombified? Oh, yeah. Like when, yeah. When the this is like back? Marvel. This is like Marvel zombies, Kathy, yeah. but with like King characters. I mean, I got I to gotta go with my boy Larry Underwood and maybe he'd play some cool tunes as a zombie. And, uh, <laughs> some spooky tunes. And maybe it, it would be, uh, baby, can you grave dig your man instead of, you, know, <laughs> you, you could put all sorts of puns on song. That's, that's what I would do. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, that's well, a good I'm one. going with my boy Bowers. Uh, <laughs> if only to give him a better send off than he gets in the when he's an adult in both it chapter two the the movie and in the book. Yeah, I mean if, <laughs> if Bowers, it might actually be an improvement when he comes back Ooh. as a zombie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's such a bad. I don't a bad know boy. if Henry would appreciate that, Dan. I think he might be coming for you. <laughs> well, he could drive around and you. with his zombified Patrick Hockstetter in their zombified uh, Christine car. <laughs> Um, and maybe the two of them zombified can go get their buddy, um, their future buddy Ace. Uh, f- you know, oh. and, you know. Oh and yeah, that I would want be Ace just heaven. Too. Could you imagine uh, three zombified bullies in Christine uh, the I car? Just want, I just want all my all my bullies to come back. I'm gonna bury all my bullies. Mm. <laughs> Love it. You bury Cooch and he can jump in the back of Christine. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, that would but, be but a hell Cooch of a road trip. Doesn't come back as a zombie. Cooch comes back as a happy dog. He yeah. does, yes. And maybe he fights all the zombies. Yes, there we go. Yes. I like that. I like that idea that if he's already evil, he's like pure evil already and infected mm-hmm. and zombified living, that if he's buried in the pet cemetery, it's reversed. So he comes out because yeah, like the nicest dog in the history of the world. He he's makes Kojak look evil. Um, <laughs> no, they're oh, friends. No. They both become friends, yeah. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. well, There's your flashback episode. I like there that. I like is. that. I want look. that. Oh, my God. Oh my God! What if Josh Boone's Stan had a Cujo flash or a Kojak flashback, and it's all about him meeting Cujo on the road? Oh my lord! Oh. It's like a Homeward Bound kind. It's of a episode. Homeward Bound kind of thing, and then and then Cujo joins the cast of the Stan. And because he's such a huge replacements fan, it's gonna like have, be soundtracked by When It Began. It's like <laughs> When It Began, yeah, yeah, When It Began. Um, I want Cujo in Vegas up on one of the the torture pods. <laughs> but not like really because i don't want him to get hurt i just think it's a funny image yeah yeah well who's who's who else is burying in the pet cemetery or who else is going to be buried in the pet cemetery jen who are you uh you know digging up there in uh, ludlow 
Well, I was going to bury Cooge, but I, th- I wonder what would happen if you buried Judd. Like, I think the sheer goodness of him would, like, turn the ground not sour anymore, you know? So I'm going to counteract gotta, the Mi'kmaq burial ground with Judd's awesomeness. I, I got some bad news for you, Jen. He's going to go straight to the cemetery and, uh, un- oh. you know, dig up his wife and then bury her in the pet cemetery. And um, things are going to get a little gross um, and a little wild. Because he... <laughs> I say a lot of ayahs. <laughs> a lot of ayahs. Yeah. Uh, God. Um, yeah. Well, maybe not. That's not where I thought the story would go. No, maybe so maybe, maybe he <laughs> just goes to the porch and just has a cigarette, and he's just like, "Remember that kid mm. killed me about uh, two weeks ago?" Um, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> God, I wish we could. I wish we could, you know, put um, uh, the uh, God. Who's the actor who plays him again? Um, Fred Gwynn or John Lithgow? Just put, you know, put Fred Gwynn up there, and we get him back, and we get, he could mm. be in a couple more movies. Love him. him. Love Fred Aww. Gwynn. Miss him. We could do we could do uh, Vinny too. My cousin Vinny too. He could, you know Vincent Gambini gets in more trouble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is get a Fred Gwynn back? Yeah, he's like he's like uh, Gambini. I thought I I thought I'd die before I saw you, and then we're like, well, he did. He did. He hey, did Ralph Macchio's acting again. Yeah, I, I know. Think it's too far fetched. We get William Zapka as his friend instead of the <gasps> other guy that's in it. That'd be awesome. Just the whole yes. cast of Martin Cove shows up. <laughs> Martin Cove is like the judge's son or something like that. <laughs> I was in Nam. You didn't care about me. Um, I was, you know, <sighs> just becomes a fucking crossover with Cobra Kai. Um, yeah. Be awesome. Well, do we, uh, is that, it looks like that was it that we, that we had. I mean, we've already talked for two hours. So I think that's it, but do we want to do one more or do you, is that we it? Do one more. Yeah. Let's do one more. Wrap it yeah, up. One more. One more. All right. You, uh, who wants to pick it? Um, I want to um, give, I'll give it to you, Randall. You pick it. All right. Let me see. This is fun. I'm just uh, browsing the few questions that we have here. This um, is so true to the Losers Club that, like, we've literally gone two hours with this bag of bones, and we're like, what can we do more? Can we do more? Can we, can we add more to this? Like, unfucking believable. This is. Um, this I'm going to choose this one. It's It's a big one. So, like, if you guys don't have full answers, like, that's okay, but I have an answer for it. Um, uh, Dave Musson, another little Cougar winner, uh, shout out to Floyd. Uh, he says you're in charge of commissioning an adaptation of one of King's stories that hasn't been touched yet. Which story are you picking? Who do you want as a director? What format is it taking? And who are some of the names in the cast list? I don't know if I have answers to all of that, but, and we've had this question before, but I think it does evolve. Like as we read more books and we're in this period now where we are reading books that never got adaptations, which is kind of like a Mm -hmm. weird place to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we just Mm -hmm. did insomnia, no adaptation. We're doing Rose matter next, no adaptation. Um, And so I don't know. I was thinking a lot about insomnia and I kind of stumbled upon Alan Alda playing Ralph Roberts. Like while I was, Man, because f- hilariously, when I first read it, I always imagined Ed Asner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, from Cobra Kai. Uh, is he in Cobra Kai? He is. Yeah, I didn't he know is. That. He's I Johnny's stepfather. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I just it's so good. Uh, love but, it. But I, I well, I always imagined him as like kind of bulky, and um, but then I, when I was rereading it, King always describes him as like really thin, and so it just made me think of Alan Alda, and I was like, oh, he's actually, you know, maybe if him ten years ago or something, like I think he might have been perfect because he's old now, but it's uh, although mm. hey, he's still very spry. So, um, but I think <laughs> Alan Alda is great, and then I was thinking about like Sally Field playing Lois because uh, I love her, and I just Aww. love that pairing between the two, and um, mm. and I think she kind of like him 
kind of embodies maybe the daffy qualities of of uh of lois while also sort of the you know stronger qualities i think sally field can, mm-hmm. can do both of those and then uh for the little bald doctors i was thinking um uh <laughs> anthony harrigan from barry who, ah. uh who also plays victor zaz on gotham and um mm-hmm. but you know he's he's naturally bald and is very pale because i i believe he has um alopecia right and um he uh but i think like having him play all the different bald doctors including atropos would be super super cool so um so yeah i don't know i just thought of those casting ideas and i got really excited about it yeah i mean i for me it's uh i'm gonna get weird i'm gonna go with uh gasper no doing the jaunt uh Mm. and get like vincent cassell as like the father figure um all of his regulars just make it all crazy european um for no reason i guess and uh just go wild i mean just like all his past few movies um i mean his his last few have just been balls the wall crazy and i think he could do just a really psychedelic version of the jaunt um if you haven't seen love um it's it's that's actually not one of his better ones but um it's crazy enough like you could watch that and be like um it'd be it'd be wild um but uh yeah i mean just a total parisian take even though i mean he's I think I want to say he's Argentinian, but um, a Parisian take because I think he is based in Paris um, mm-hmm. on the the jaunt. Just fucking wild. I mean, um, did anyone see Climax? Uh, it was like no, I went to. Oh, oh like, I love Climax. Yeah, right. Like I just think that his style would work really well with like the more psychedelic yeah. elements of the jaunt. Well, it's genre. so it's so mm-hmm. aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's mine. But um, I would do. I don't know if it would be a short film or full length. It'd probably have to be a short film, but um, Summer Thunder, which is the final story in Bizarre Ooh. Bad Dreams. Man, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite Stephen King stories. It's about an old guy and his dog um, after the, the uh, after a nuclear apocalypse. And it's just him and one other guy. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Take your pick of two grizzled old dudes <laughs> in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it would be more of a short film than anything. I always think it would be cool to do a, an anthology horror film of a bunch of unadapted Stephen King stories, whether they're all from night shift or from over the years, like just do like another, a creep show style thing, but all based on Stephen King, uh, stories that haven't been mm-hmm. brought to screen yet. And that would be one that I would include. I mean, it's not a horror story really. It's a really sad meditative more, more in the vein of the road kind of thing. But yeah, I, I would mm-hmm. always love to see that, uh, brought to screen. That'd be interesting. Mine is probably the most predictable answer that I could give. Um, I want Netflix to do The Breathing Method, directed by Mike Flanagan, starring Kate Siegel. I think that would be amazing. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And I love that story. I feel like it doesn't get enough love, and I think it's really... And I, and I think Mike Flanagan would do great. I also want to see Mrs. Todd shortcuts. So. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, I think that's. Sweet. I think we talked about that being like in another creep mm. show or something like that. Um, I want to yeah. see... The, the, hey, you know what? This actually ties into one of the other questions we got Um I think uh, who was it was it from Clancy also about about what Stephen King property would we want to see adapted by Pixar? So I say mm-hmm. we get we get Uncle Otto's truck and you get <gasps> you get Larry the Cable Guy's pickup <laughs> truck from Cars playing uh, Uncle Otto's uh, truck, but he's a but he's a talking Uncle Otto's truck and he cracks mm. wise and does bad things. Correct. That story oh is so creepy. That would be really interesting. Yeah, like yeah. a Goosebumps kind of thing. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uncle Otto's truck with the eyes just <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Larry's truck. <laughs> God. Well, hey, this has been fun. Um, another bag emptied. What can I say? Yeah. So, uh, what's next? 
Well, uh, if you're a member of the Barons, our Patreon account, you're going to get two episodes within the next week. Uh, on Monday, we're going to sort through the best and worst book covers in King's catalog. Uh, maybe we'll talk about his photos again, um, but mostly we're going to probably stick to the covers and who knows how long that episode will go. Uh, and on Friday, <laughs> we are cracking open another crate, or should I say box? Uh, you asked for it and we're doing it. Hellraiser. Uh, and they, who knows, they might even talk a little bit about Hellraiser 2 and maybe Clive Barker's books because all f- four of the members of the Losers Club who are on that episode, I believe they've all writ- read uh, Clive Barker's books. So that's we a really special episode. Some Hellraiser heads there. I think so, yeah. Some hell heads. Hell heads. And as for this feed, though, uh, we got another book episode, Rose Matter. So you got to start reading because I know you just finished Insomnia. Long book. Well, Rosemont is not too long, so this is a, little, a nice little reprieve. And we're going to give you a nice uh, uh, reprieve for uh, spooky season in October because we know that you're going to be watching a bunch of horror movies and catching up. And we got a nice spooky story that's going to be a little left of the dial, but we'll announce that on the Rose Matter episode. Um, let's do some plugs. Uh, Jen, what, what do you got coming up on uh, Psychoanalysis? Um, well, we have our second episode about paranoia coming up and it is on Fright Night and the Burbs, which I am so excited about because I love, uh, well, I love one of those movies and they paired really nicely. It was really fun episode. Um, and then we, our October theme is going to be PTSD. So we're going to be looking at, uh, the descent and then we're going to be comparing Laurie and Laurie in, uh, H2O and Halloween from 2018 and how we see PTSD coming out. And then we're also, we haven't really announced this yet, but we're going to start to do some comfort horror minis, I think, where we talk about like our favorite comfort horror movies. And you might be seeing another loser show up on one of those episodes I think, oh. yeah mike might stop by and talk about um, might, one of yeah. his favorite movies <laughs> I'm, i might be so, uh, making a return trip to haddonfield uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so i'm really excited about that we got a lot of fun stuff coming in october because it is the best month of the year well caffrey you've got some spooky stuff coming up too because uh you've we talked about your new project you're working on right now this is oh yeah cool. I started a little thing called Slay ASMR. Um, I'm a big ASMR <laughs> fan. I watch it a lot to fall asleep, and I've wanted mm. to do this for a while. And uh, hey, why not during a pandemic, especially when people uh, need help relaxing? So yeah, it's called Slay ASMR, and every week I literally whisper for 30 to 40 minutes about a horror movie that I love. Um, we just did Jaws because it's it's not officially the last day of summer, but it's kind of the last day of summer, so I figure we go out the summer blockbuster. Uh, we've done Halloween, Scream, Nightbreed, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I'm being totally honest, I don't know what this week's episode is going to be. I had all those planned mm-hmm. out, and I have to plan out the rest of the year. Um, but it drops Monday, uh, usually around 1 o'clock or so. We're small, but I promise we're soothing, and you should tune in. <laughs> I love that. It's really <laughs> I just made it up really on the spot. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like, like, subscribe, and all that stuff. Um, if you go to my Twitter, it's it's on there. It's uh, Or just Google uh, Slay SMR YouTube, and it should come up. So, yeah, thanks for yeah. the plug. Thanks. Well, hey, we we got Halloweenies that are you know brewing some good uh, some goodies uh, this season. Also, we just uh, opened up our uh, Patreon account, um, the Rewind. So if uh, patreon.com slash I believe Halloweenies pod, um, that you just were on uh, Near Dark with Heather Wixon and uh, wh- who else was on? was it Mac and Justin it was, was on the two? Yeah, yeah. So the Gerbers. I mean Heather Wixon, and I, it was so cool because then I I watched the Shutter documentary. Um, was it Search for Darkness? Is that the, in the Search for Darkness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know she's on. So I was, I was just 
doing work and that was on the background and she popped up talking about near dark actually so that was pretty cool um yeah she was awesome i I had not met her before but she was great oh it's a totally pleasant episode but you got i gotta be honest with you i like things nasty as in shasta mcnasty and (laughs) my boy (laughs) randall colburn just did a deep dive on shasta mcnasty and it is fucking in depth Holy um, shit. I Randall, watched 22 episodes yeah. of 1999-2000 UPN sitcom with Jake Busey called Shasta McNasty. I watched it in two days. My wife said, put some fucking headphones on. That is the worst <laughs> shit I have ever heard in my life. She's uh, not wrong. I know. This show sucks. Um, but we do a, a feature at AV Club uh, called um, One Season Wonders, Wonders, Weirdos, and Wannabes. And uh, I always kind of wanted to do one on Shasta McNasty because I was a big wrestling fan. And the show was uh, marketed extensively on WWE SmackDown. Uh, and because the ba- <laughs> show is basically sort of trying to take the aggression and uh, uh, um, uh, emphasis on the female form, a very specific kind of female form, uh, uh, on display. It was basically just trying to do that big show cameos in the first episode. Love big uh, show. As a pizza man. Man, this show is bad. Uh, but but I was almost more, I was less fascinated by sort of chronicling the badness than sort of the way that the network, like, was so overconfident about how, like, much, like, kids would love it. And they, like, weren't even sending it to critics. And they were just like, they go, the, our audience doesn't read newspapers. They were saying shit like that. And then, uh, like, they just, who is Who is the one exec in the article who... You you wrote that he was like you know people did this with The Simpsons like ten years ago. Yeah, it's like he thought it was like Jake Busey was gonna be the next Bart Simpson. And hey, look, man, I love Jake Busey. He was great. Oh yeah, he's great. Season three, but uh, this was not his not his his uh, most shining moment. It's just, you know really nasty McNasty show. And uh, uh, yeah, anyways, I had a piece. We're recording this on Wednesday. A piece went up on Wednesday. I wrote a really. I, I wasted a good portion of my life it, working. It's on great. This. It, it's, uh, uh, you were sending me clips, yeah. and I was like at a. I was at this like honey. I shrunk the kids pop up just like really nice little innocent pop up where like waitresses coming up to the, the table asking us like oh would you you know doing quotes from the movie and I'm like playing this clip for Sammy of just like all the kids like from the show like pouring into like this like cafeteria and they're just like making fun of like overweight people left and like oh, I was man. just like and they're like I think like even the waitress is like what are the hell are they watching on their yeah computer? man <laughs> some of the stuff in this show is like it's, it was offensive even in 1999 during yeah. that ex, this extreme attitude era, you know, uh, it, it was rough, man. But yeah, you can find my work at the AV club. I'm, I'm, I'm writing stuff every day, but not, not everything gets the, the Shasta McNasty treatment. I'll say that, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Randall Colburn, um, not rocking Randall, although maybe I'll change my handle. Um, but yeah, I put, I don't post a lot, but when I do, Oh man, it's good. It's just, so it's good, good. stuff. <laughs> Especially yeah, if you want to you. see us do great bits uh, that involve a 1999 classic comedy called American <laughs> Pie. Yeah, I uh, pretty much only come on Twitter to make American Pie jokes with you guys. Yeah, so. yeah it's it's good. Uh, yeah, you could follow uh, follow Randall at Randall Colburn, uh, uh, Dan Caffrey at. Uh, let me get this straight. It's D W Caffrey or is it Dan yeah. W Caffrey? No, it's D W. Someone someone took the D- oh. the Dan when I first established mm. my Twitter account. Oh, so fuck sons them. of no, bitches, okay. they're fine. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> at Jen Ferrantu, uh, for Jen yeah. Adams. Uh, and you can follow me at Michael Rothman, but you could, should follow at Losers Club Pod because that's where you're going to find all the updates for us. And you should also follow us on Facebook and you should also follow us on Instagram. Randall, what, what do we give on these social networks? Fresh content we get, we across give, all uh, platforms. All fresh platforms. content. 
across yeah, all man. platforms. We uh, our, our our social media manager Sammy is working hard every day to give us you she, give you the key history. Great job. She's doing fun mm. stuff. We're going to see the next Littlest Cujo. We're going to get some merch going uh, very, very soon. Um, literally just got a box of uh, bookmarks today. So those are going to be going up. So please follow us on there. And then also, look, do us a favor. Please um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you notice, if you do already follow us on our socials, we've been sharing our favorite reviews, uh, mostly because we just love waking up to them. I Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking, God, I can't go back to bed. Why do the voices still keep coming on my head? I better go <laughs> look, check the Apple Podcasts and see what's going on. And I look at the reviews and I think they're great and they're wonderful reviews and I go back to bed and I have a wonderful dream. So please, Aww. go ahead and do it. Give us some bright red Pennywise clown noses to your favorite, your devoted, and your only Losers Club. Uh, until then, we'll be seeing you Ooh. over long days. Long days. And, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Consequence Podcast Network.